is wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC. Hey, are you one of our geeks and sneaks out there using DLC to get you through a run or a workout? We are so glad you're with us using DLC to fuel you through. Doesn't it feel great to know that I'm talking to you? DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free. And that's thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, Hover, and Mac Mini Colo. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff 2 ns one t Kanata, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host... Slash nemesis. My own personal inverse Hulk. You wouldn't like him if he wasn't angry. It's Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Mr. Kanata. How are you this fine Monday? Are you ready for Avengers Week? I am ready for Avengers Week, also known as Wolfenstein, the Old Blood Week, also known as I'm probably going to have a second kid week. So, yeah, I'm ready. Oh, is it this week? Is she due this week? (laughs) I mean, it's, we're at the point where it's any day now, really. The due date is like the 5th, I think. But once you get to that window, it's, uh, you know, we're waiting. Wow. <laughs> excitement, excitement on all levels. Um, as you know, DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week is per- the perfect guest for Avengers Week. We are excited because DLC stands for Diablo Leads to Comics. Because we have the creator of the legendary Diablo franchise, who is now CEO of Gazillion and currently working on the action RPG Marvel Heroes, Mr. David Brevik. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, we're excited. I've, uh, I played a lot of Marvel Heroes when it was first released, uh, what, a couple years ago now, right? Um, right. Yeah. Uh, coming but, up on and- two year anniversary. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed it at launch, but I know that uh, you guys have recently re-released the game or relaunched it um, with the Marvel Heroes 2015 moniker and had a bunch of improvements and changes to the game. Can you tell us about what, what that's about? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it when it launched. I think you'll enjoy it even more now, but the, uh, because it wasn't super well received when it, <laughs> when it first came out. Uh, uh, and so we kind of buckled down and made a lot of changes, a lot of tough calls, a lot of things that we, we, you know, we said, Hey, we can fix this. We can make this better. And, uh, and we did, we made the game much, much better than it was at launch. We changed almost everything about the game. Uh, so many from the business model to, uh, fixed, uh, changed a bunch of the heroes to added a bunch of game modes and end game activities and all sorts of things. Uh, and the game had changed so much that we said, you know, that we don't, we only offered or afforded one opportunity to get reviewed. And that's really when you launch and the game launched and it got a Metacritic score of 58, which, you know, is not good. And mm-hmm. we felt like, hey, the game is much, much better than it was. It's really unfair for us to be hung on that score at this point. And so when we rebranded the product as Marvel Heroes 2015, we got re-reviewed uh, by by a bunch of outlets. And we raised our Metacritic from a 58 to an 81. So uh, nice. it's a massive improvement. And so the game is much better than it was when it launched. And, uh, and we've added a ton of content to the game. And it's still a free to play, uh, top down action RPG in the style of Diablo, right? Uh, but with yeah, absolutely. the it huge is, it is. cast of Marvel her- heroes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does. I think we're adding our 47th hero. The, uh, basically the, the heroes are character classes. So we're basically or, or adding our 47th 
character class this week uh, with the vision and uh, which is in conjunction with the movie, obviously. And, uh, and uh, so it, it is a tap top down action RPG game uh, where you play as the Marvel superheroes. Uh, it's also an MMO, but it's not an MMO like world of Warcraft kind of MMO. It's just an MMO in that there are thousands of people in the same game at the same time. And you run across people in, in hubs and, out in public combat zones and things like that. So uh, it's still very much an action RPG item hunt type of game. Yeah, I redownloaded it this week. I haven't been able to put a ton of time back into it. But um, like I said, I was one of those people that really liked it the first time around. And um, I, you know, I booted up Captain America and I, I played the first couple of, of missions. And man, it's it's awesome. You feel like those heroes. And uh, I mean, I genuinely dig that kind of that kind of genre in, in and of itself. And to be able to do it with Marvel heroes is uh, is a blast. So I'm excited to play more of it um, over the next few weeks. And Thank I you. The, uh, I- Oh, sorry. I think the relisting or, or, you know, renaming and coming out for reviews is a really interesting approach that was creative from, from your guys' part. And I understand the desire behind it with games being so fluid for better or worse. Sometimes it really is interesting. Like, you know, websites like Polygon will re-review games sometimes if, uh, you know, the preview they get, the multiplayer works and then it doesn't work or something changes or this, that and the other. I mean, is this something that you would like to see more of in terms of, how games are reviewed or do you kind of understand you get one shot at the apple and then, you know, that's your bite. Like as someone who's making these games that are constantly changing, how would you like to see reviews or critiques handled for content that's coming out? Yeah, that's a great question. It is a problem, in my opinion. Uh, The fact of the matter is that games as a service is a totally different way to create games and have games exist. And the press for the most part adheres to this system that is meant for one model which is the box product on the shelf kind of thing uh so when you're when you have a game that's a game as a service and it changes and they add new features and make it better and better over time they aren't really afforded the ability to get re-reviewed even the product may be completely different it's much more akin to television than it is to movies right it's almost it's very very similar in that movies get reviewed but they're only once and it's that's very much like a box product whereas television they get reviewed on kind of their seasons right you know in every season it's a a, you know they get a new score and uh, you've seen many tv shows that started out poor they get better and better over time and have different uh you know new reviews people start to get into it and and uh and and then it becomes a very popular show the fact is that the same thing can happen with games especially games as a service here where the games change and new stuff gets added and things improve over time uh and really the the press hasn't caught up with that same kind of mentality it's still kind of worked in games as a service where you had the expansion pack model because the expansion pack would get re-reviewed but we don't sell anything i mean it's a free-to-play game and we give all the content away so we don't bundle it up into something that you're going to sell and get a review for we just come out with the content when it's deemed the right time to come out with it uh and you know it's in its best shape so um we're putting out stuff all the time. Every month there's new features and things like that. And then that's too much for a, for a single outlet to re-review. It's like, Oh, I can't re-review your product every month. So there, there has to be something where there's a seasons or whatever. And so our way that we dealt with that was this rebranding of putting the year on it 
And then every year, you know, we have a, a chance to, uh, to, to get a new look at the product. It's very cool. Very cool. I'm excited to play more of it. I know you guys have a big, uh, ex- uh content pack in conjunction with uh, Ultron as well coming up, right? Yeah, that's correct. We have a, a bunch of stuff that we're adding to the game. We're adding, uh, uh, an Ultron mode, uh, so that, you know, at a, a level, the level cap in the game is 60. As a level 60 player, you can kind of take on Ultron. Ultron's drones kind of go out throughout the entire game. They permeated all sorts of different parts of the game. You can play as any of the Avengers, as one of your starting heroes now for the next few weeks. Uh, Vision is coming. Uh, Scarlet Witch is having a major design review. Black Widow and Hawkeye had reviews. Uh, we've got all the Avenger costumes from the movie, including the Hulkbuster Iron Man suit, which looks amazing. Uh, so there's lots and lots of things that are coming to the to the game uh, with this big patch. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're glad to hear about that. But uh, let's get now to story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. David, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? Wow. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> there were quite a few. Uh, as a businessman, some of the Konami rumors are are interesting. Uh, I think that the Steam uh, Steam issues, you know, with them selling their uh, ad, you know, uh, I want to say add-ons, but that's not the right word. Mods, but the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the mods or whatever that uh, that you know that's been pretty controversial this week. So th- those are the things that kind of come to mind for me uh, as as my first yeah. choice let's uh let's start with the the mods on steam because i think that is a major major story certainly generated a lot of debate online with people freaking out um petitions online petitions with over fifty thousand signatures saying please stop this practice uh gabe newell had to go on and do a, a ask me anything on reddit to try to address the issue uh, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, David, but I'll just uh, recap it real quick for our listeners in case anybody missed the news. Basically, um, the Steam Workshop is a section of Steam that allows uh, people to put out mods for various games. One of the most popular games mod in the modding community is Skyrim, and uh, there are thousands of Skyrim mods, some, some of them very, very popular, and some of them very, very cool, some we've talked about on this show before, uh, and Skyrim became the first game that is going to take advantage of a new policy on Steam that allows creators of game mods, which are usually amateurs, usually hobbyists who are just creating stuff to create it, to make, mess with the game and add new things that they want. Um, they're now being able to charge for their work, being able to charge for these mods. And up to this point, the, the fees have been relatively small, just a few dollars up to about six bucks is the most expensive one. And they're bundling them together in, in uh, packs that you can buy for more money. But, uh, this caused an uproar in people that are used to getting this stuff for free, and now it's going to be charged. In fact, there's already one mod that had to be removed from the service because it had some tech in it from somebody else's mod, and so there was a a complaint about not paying the right creator, so that's a little bit messy. As a creator of games, and as a creator of, of games that have been modded, uh, how do you how do you feel about modders making money? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I see both sides of this issue. I know this is, that's not really much of an answer, but the, uh, 
But the fact is that I, I believe that people should be able to when they when they make an important mod that gets played a lot and, um, you know, that people should be able to benefit from that. The fact is that uh, they've gone they go through tons of time and effort. Some of these people spend hundreds of hours making these things and, uh, you know, they should get they should get rewarded for their time and effort of making something awesome. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it is t- a tough thing to swallow when, when you're not sure what you're going to be buying or you're not sure what, what, you know, how valuable this thing is. Somebody's going to charge me whatever five bucks for this thing. And it turns out it's a piece of junk. And then you get into rights issues. Like you said, Hey, this mod used this other mod that was free and now you're charging for it. And like, it becomes kind of a mess. Right. So, uh, I think there are a lot of really sticky edge situations to it. And, uh, and so in general, I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that it should be that there should be some sort of process where they, they get deemed, you know, to, to be sellable almost, uh, you know, and, and not make it completely up to anybody. Uh, but we'll see, I, I, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it's, it's tough to, uh, it's tough to see how this is going to play out. Yeah. You know, they, they do have a 24 hour refund period. So there is a little bit of, of, um, recourse as far as if you, you know, pay for a mod and ends up not being what you want. Um, so there's that, that is, I think commendable from steam's perspective, but, uh, I kind of agree with you. I kind of sit in the middle here. Um, I try not to take the cynical point of view, but the cynical side of me looks at the response to this, the, the outcry from this, and it sees people who are used to getting stuff for free, having to pay for things. And I feel like a lot of the justifications that people come up with about why they're upset is more of an excuse rather than the real reason, which is, Hey, I'm used to getting this for free and now I have to pay money for it. Um, what do you, what's your take on this, Christian? It's nice to see people get paid for their work. The The problems are, are many of the ones that you guys already discussed, right? It's people using other people's tech tech. Who's the police of that? Who's making sure that this is original content? Are you going to have mod developers suing one another? Um, is it small claims court? How much money is being made? How are you going to track these people down? Who's looking into all of that, checking the code and, and all of that stuff? The other side of the coin is... I mean, it's, it's nice to see people getting paid, but at the same time, people that had been modding and spending hundreds of hours on these awesome, complex Skyrim mods or whatever were doing it. They went in eyes wide open. It's not as if, you know, some guy in a suit was like, hey, kid, come here into this alley. See, spend 40 hours on this mod for Skyrim. You'll make a lot of money. <laughs> and then he runs away and doesn't pay him. Right. I mean, it's like these people were making these things out of pure passion or as a calling card to attract a, a, a business or a job or put it on a resume and putting it out. It's not as if they were duped into doing something and then, oh man, my only revenue for this is nothing. Now I'm sad. What a waste of time. So I kind of understand people being upset and and really I don't look at this as Steam trying to find a way for the little hobbyist to make money. I think Steam looked at this for a way for them to make more money. Because I don't well, believe that they're altruistic in saying now Jeff the modder can make money. They were like, holy moly, people are making all these mods. We get free money. 
But it isn't, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, right? That both of those things can be true. They can say, Hey, we can make some money and they are taking a percentage and they're also giving a percentage to the original game creator. So Bethesda is getting a portion of the sales of these mods, uh, you know, as I would say they should, uh, if this is on the back of their platform, basically. Um, but I think both things can be true. They can say, Hey, these people are putting in a lot of work and, this is a valuable thing that people are getting a lot of joy out of. They should get some money. I also think, you know, you, you talk about this sort of back alley duping thing. Nobody's getting duped, but I do think there are a lot of mods that go unfinished or unsupported because the initial spark and passion of that thing burns out under the weight of how much work it really is. And maybe we'll see better, cooler things made if it actually can be a revenue stream for these people. Maybe sure. David, or it could, it could go, go the other way as well. It could be that, uh, People pay a bunch of money for a mod with promises of the way it's going to be in the future, and then it doesn't get supported. What happens then? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point that, that the consumer at that point is being sort of sold a bill of goods and said, you know, you're saying, Hey, I'm, I'm signing up for something that's going to be worth my money instead of just this hobby thing that I can download and fiddle with. Um, and that maybe there's a, a bit of responsibility on the game creator or the mod creator at that point to create something that's worth money. Or the, the hobbyist modder gets, you know, a, a cool little mod that maybe would have been awesome and taken over the world as other people added to it and tweaked to it in a, you know, collective commons IP approach or something like that. Doesn't get the focus because Steam doesn't highlight it because they're not making money off of it. Modding becomes a business. It's not a hobbyist modder anymore. It's groups of people working together to create mods. And it's just, you know, one more strike against cool little things getting created. Like Steam has become, in my opinion, while still a wonderful marketplace for games in some aspects and other aspects, it is a um, rummage sale. And <laughs> voting things up, green lighting this company, you know, you get hit up online where it's like, I guarantee I can get, are you green lighting a game? I guarantee I'll get you 50 up votes. Are you submitting a mod? It's, it's, there's a dirty side to all of that stuff when there's not curation. And I feel like this modding thing is going to junk up their store more. My takeaway from it, honestly, is that I think we are smack dab in the middle of a generation of people who want to pay for things if they give have the choice to not pay for them. They don't want to be required to pay for things. I think people are very generous with their dollar and want to reward creators with with monies if they're not required to. I think people, for some reason, we've gotten to this point where people resent being required to pay for things. And I think that's why uh, Patreon and free to play and some of those things work so well because people are like, yeah, I like, I get joy out of this. They didn't make me in- enjoy it. They didn't, or they didn't make me pay for it initially, but I got to enjoy it for free and now I will pay for it. But if there's, it's the other way around, I think there's some weird resentment to that. Uh, David, do you, you're making a free to play game. Are you seeing any of that or am I crazy? No, I, I think that's true. I think that the require, you know, for something that was free and now, it, it, you know, it doesn't mean that they're all going to be, you know, paid, but requiring some requiring uh, they be bought. Uh, will change. It, it will make people upset. Having it as a policy of a donation or you know an opt-in uh, seems like a much better solution to me. Interesting. 
Uh, well, let, this is an ongoing debate. I'm sure we'll see how it shakes out uh, over the coming weeks and months, but um, certainly, certainly an interesting debate. And, and I'm curious to see how these mods do. And if more games jump on this sold mod bandwagon, No, Jeff, I will never speak of this topic again. <laughs> as you, as well, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> The other story that you brought up, David, is uh, is this bizarre goings on with Konami. So we talked a few weeks ago about uh, Hideo Kojima, the creator of Metal Gear Solid, uh, leaving Konami. Um, the disassociation of him with you know, from, with Konami and the fact that uh, the next Metal Gear Solid will be his final Metal Gear Solid, his final game with them. Uh, and we conjectured about the status of Silent Hills, which is the upcoming or was the upcoming sequel to Silent Hill that uh, Kojima was collaborating with Guillermo del Toro on. Uh, we got confirmation this week that that is officially canceled and that the, uh, the PT, the playable teaser that so many people were talking about a few months ago, uh, is being removed from the PlayStation Network as of April 30th. So you can't even get it anymore. They are completely shuttering that whole project. Um, a bizarre sounding, <laughs> uh, press release talked about how it was still embryonic, which is a weird way to talk about it. Anyway, <laughs> so that's, that's unfortunate for people that were excited about a new Silent Hill, especially with those big name creators involved, but not terribly surprising. And then this morning, there was this news about Konami delisting itself from the New York Stock Exchange. Now, a lot of people in the games press are putting those two things together. I don't think there's really any evidence that one is, uh, you know, has anything to do with the other. And I'm certainly out of my... (laughs) Well, I'm certainly out of my depth when it comes to, you know, stock market analysis. Um... But there is a lot of discussion uh, with people that are more knowledgeable than I am, more informed than I am. Uh, Michael Futter from um, Game Informer wrote up an article this morning about how he really thinks this is um, a whole lot uh, of hullabaloo about not much. Uh, he says there's no reason to panic over this move, um, that Capcom is already – in this situation, Bandai, Namco Bandai is already in the situation. Uh, Square Enix is already in the situation and that the stock is still going to be sold over the counter in the United States, which I don't even understand what that is. But, um, that means that Ben Affleck from Boiler Room will call you up at the great deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, David, maybe you, maybe you know more than I do about this kind of thing. What's your take on this? Uh, well, it's hard to tell what's going on, but something is going on there kind of in the upper management of Konami. It's, I, I I don't, I I have no insight into it, uh, other than it is, it's obvious from the outside that there's a whole bunch of things going on with the company. And I would assume that not all of them are very positive. The fact is that you don't delist yourself when things are going well (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) And, uh, you know, and with your star creator leaving and like and games getting canceled and like all of these kind of things all happening at the same time, there's some there's some I I would guess rough times going on at Konami. And uh, and, you know, there's a bunch of stress and pressure going on and they are all related somehow. I mean, maybe even not directly, but they but. It all goes to a bigger story, which is that, uh, you know, the Konami has some strange stuff going on. Yeah, my favorite quote from this article is uh, Konami's voluntary delisting from the New York Stock Exchange is no reason to panic. 
everything else Konami is doing is reason to panic. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Christian, what's your uh, what's your feeling about this? I just question how voluntary it is. I just picture a solid snake standing behind Mr. Konami, giving him a chokehold, being like, D-list, D-list. <laughs> it's, um, unfortunately, I feel it is a representative of the larger issue happening with um, yesterday's major Japanese game publishing companies. I mean, if you think back to my child, if, if you think back to my childhood, <laughs> that's the dumbest <laughs> thing. I've said a lot of dumb things. If, if you think back to, you know, um, the silver age of gaming, whatever you want to call it, Nintendo, Sega, Konami, Capcom, um, Square, uh, Mont- or Eidos, Montreal, whatever they used to be called before they were Eidos Montreal, all of these these companies were just, the, you know, they were the Bash Brothers, right? It was McGuire, and, and, and they were <laughs> slamming them out of the park every day. And and now it's they're just kind of, it appears, limping along and surviving on, for Sega, other cash flows other than games. Um, Konami, maybe it's they're going to only do health clubs and fitness clubs in Japan. Um Capcom is maybe kind of back, but they had a couple of years of some serious, you know, WTF moments. And I, I don't know if they have, and this is broad generalizations on my part, but these companies have figured out the shift of gaming from the Japanese centric market. We rule the world, what we put out is gobbled up to the Western um, RPG, the Western third person shooter, um, the European racing game. And it's it's just a very different approach that none of them have handled very well, unfortunately. And I don't know what Kojima is going to do next if he goes the you know Project Nine Kickstarter Mighty Number no. Nine Kickstarter route, or you know Microsoft gobbles him up or something like that. But it is um, we are in a a transition point in gaming in many ways, be it the free to play or you know microtransaction kind of console pc whatever and then also a shift in who are the um premier developers and it's no longer who it used to be well i certainly don't think that handling that that transition uh involves getting rid of the guy who is synonymous with the most popular game in your library it does if his salary is drink is, is drowning you maybe maybe yeah, maybe it's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bummer. I mean, for me, stock stuff aside, the biggest bummer is Silent Hills really seemed like a cool project. I'm bummed that it's not happening. I'm bummed that it doesn't sound like Guillermo del Toro is going to be involved in any way with any project there. Um, and so he's sort of a bystander of this falling out that happened. Um, so I'm bummed. I'm bummed by the whole situation and it's going to be interesting to see how Konami, you know, Konami is, as you're, as you're pointing out, Christian, becoming less and less of a factor in, in the sort of upper echelon of, of game companies. And that's, that's not good. I think, I think it's better when we have more companies coming out with great stuff. I think Del Toro has a bad track record. Wasn't his game oh, that's insane true. with like volition? Like he joins a, a company and they go under. <laughs> Every time we hear about a big name Hollywood director making a video game, you can pretty much guarantee that <laughs> a year later it's going to be announced as canceled. <laughs> that's that's <stinks>. such a <laughs> bummer. Um, all right, guys, before we move on, I do need to thank uh, our first sponsor, which is Casper. Casper is uh, an online retailer of mattresses these are premium mattresses but they are sold to you for a fraction of the price the coolest thing about casper is 
The way we buy mattresses is dumb. We go into a store and we're thinking about sleeping on this thing for hundreds of hours of our life, spending hundreds of hours of our life laying on this thing. We walk into a store, we lay on it for five minutes. We go, "Eh, it feels pretty good. I'll pay thousands of dollars for this. And then we take it home. And a month later, we're not liking it anymore. And that's dumb. Casper is changing that. The reason is Casper is going to let you sleep on it for a hundred days before you have to decide one way or the other whether you're going to keep it or not. That's awesome. Casper mattresses are less expensive. They start at 500 bucks for twin size, 600 for twin XL, 750 for a full size, 850 for a queen. It's much less expensive than the thousands and thousands you'll find at mattress stores. And they're delivered right to your door. It makes it super easy. You do it all online. They deliver it to your door. And then you have a hundred days to check it out and sleep on it. I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress. It's super comfortable. They're really nice. It, the best thing about it is the way it's delivered. It's got a really cool packaging. Uh, it gets to your door. You open it up. It unfolds and you have this mattress. And then you think to yourself, well, if in that hundred day period, what if I don't want this mattress anymore? Am I going to have to f- fold it back up? I didn't keep the crazy box it came in. This is a scam. Aha. No, it's not. They have painless returns. That means if in your hundred days you decide that a Casper mattress is not for you, you contact them, people come to your door and pick it up. You don't have to worry about repackaging. You don't have to worry about sending it back. It's super easy. It's super painless. And guess what? We're going to help you out. We're going to give you 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase just by visiting our custom URL, which is casper.com slash DLC. And then use that promo code DLC on checkout. You get 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase. You can check it out for a hundred days, see if it's right for you. These are mattresses that are made in America and they will know that you listen to our show. They will know it's a good idea to support DLC. So check that out. Casper.com, C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC and the promo code DLC. Uh, okay, Christian, what is your story of the week? Oh, man, there's still interesting stuff. I, I, to me, um, the most interesting story has to be the next big, um, big dog trotting out this week. And it was the Cod Blobs 3. Um, Cod trailer. Blops. Cod Blobs trailer. Cod Blobs 3 um, trailer was officially released along with box art. Um, originally showing only on PlayStation. Someone messed up in their Photoshop department and used the wrong PlayStation <laughs> template. Um, but the trailer was released. It shows a uh, very Deus Ex type approach where when who's the weapon, who's the man, who's the machine. And uh, in fact, Deus Ex um, developers had some fun on Twitter saying, welcome to 2010 or something like that and took some pot shots. Um, but the trailer, the graphics look very good. It's PC, Xbox One, PS4 only at the minute. Um, I tweeted out late last night after watching the trailer again. Um, it's very self-serious. Have you guys, have you watched it, Jeff? Like this trailer yeah. is, uh, we're making the Godfather. Call well, of but Duty. that's how all of them are, right? That's how all or, of the, the Call of Duty trailers are. I don't know. I remember, new. and this still had like 70s rock in it. I remember some of them, and maybe this is like Call of Duty 4 or way back when, but some of them I feel like were just more fun. Maybe not the debut trailer, but it was just like rock, and then it was like blowing stuff <laughs> up, guitar riff, rock. And this one was our plot matters. Which, that being said, I had several people tweet back at me that uh, Black Ops is the most plot serious um, entry in Call of Duty. So, whatever. But uh, are you excited for this game? Is this getting you? Is this getting you hype? Are you going to dive back in to Call of Duty ever, Jeff? 
I have to say, I heard about the trailer first from a friend who said, eh, eh, the trailer's not that exciting. And then I watched it and maybe because my expectations were so low, but I thought it looked really good. I was really cool. I thought it's set in 2065. So it's just like far future robots. It's, it's basically, you know, yeah, it's military still, but barely we're, we're in sci-fi town. Um, not just near future. We're in, you know, this is full on robots versus humans for the fate of humanity. Uh, and, and that's, that's my language that you're speaking my language now. Um, so I think I might be excited about this, especially because the big, the big reveal was four player co-op. And now you're talking halo territory. Now you're talking get together with some friends and co-op through the campaign. That sounds fun. They're talking about how it's much less on rails, much less corridor shooter, much more wide open, uh, battlefields where, you know, new AI routines allow for uh, a more dynamic battlefield it's situation. Now I feel like you're in the kinds of first person shooters that I'm still getting jazzed about. So this could be, this could be the cool stuff. But then um, my question to, to David or someone with a, a little bit of experience doing things for real and not just uh, talking BS out of their mouths for years, a la me. Uh, uh, I mean, how do you do that? How do you bridge that gap and say, you're going to have this four player co-op campaign experience when you see the trailer and it's still epic explosion. Like how, do four of us trigger that thing and see that thing and then see all four of our dudes jumping from the same helicopter? You've played, you've played Halo? You played Halo? It doesn't with, have with those. Four player co- it doesn't have it those. It does? No, it has like a scarab get dropped and then you're like, oh, I'm in a sandbox. Let's go kill the scarab. It doesn't have, I mean, some warthoggy moments, but not Call of Duty moments. Come on. David, are you a, are you a Call yeah. of Duty fan? <laughs> I, I am. I, I played quite a few of them. Uh, I think that, you know, it looks, I, I, I personally, I didn't know that the trailer was out actually. I don't know how I missed this, but the, uh, but so I'm going to go <laughs> look at and watch it after this, but the, um, but uh, you know, it, I, I think that when it comes to trailer making trailers, it oftentimes you have to manage, uh, what features you're going to show or what's going to happen, uh, and you're trying to create a vibe and, and, and you have good looking graphics and things like that, because that's going to get the buzz more than making sure that we're showing off this kind of feature for the kind of core audience. Right. Cause a lot of the core audience you're going to have already, uh, but you're just trying to build enthusiasm for your product. And the way that you do that most is through trailers that have explosions and, uh, and, and look good. So I think, I think right. that, uh, that it, there may be questions that come out of it, but, uh, the questions won't really be answered until the product is, you know, much closer. I will say this, uh, you haven't seen the trailer yet, but I would say that if you watch the trailer without knowing what game was being marketed, you would not think it was a call of duty game. I would, th- I would think it was a sci-fi shooter of some uh, other brand. And, and, I got to say that kind of makes me excited. Like I like the fact that these games are finding their own identity that isn't just retreading the same thing over and over. It's still going to be a shooter. It's still going to be high octane. It's still going to have, you know, cool weapons and a big emphasis on multiplayer. But I have traditionally really enjoyed the Call of Duty single player experience. And the fact that I can play that in co-op is probably going to bring me back to this franchise. Uh, I did not play last year's installment at all. Even though I heard it was really good, I just didn't have room for it in my, in my life anymore. But this might be what brings me back. Like that's what I'm looking for out of a first person shooter is that fun Borderlands or Halo-esque co-op shooting experience. 
And I know what you said, but it sounded funny where you were like, I really enjoyed the single player experience. And now that I can play that with friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> campaign, campaign. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's, those are, uh, those are big stories of the week, guys. Uh, I would like to bring my story of the week up as uh, another Marvel tie-in. Uh, we got news that Telltale is making a Marvel game. Now, we don't know anything about this Marvel game. We know it's coming in 2017, so not near. But uh, these are the guys that made Walking Dead, Wolf Among Us, Tales from Borderlands, Game of Thrones. Um, so it seems like Telltale's getting in on all the cool IP. The question is, what Marvel character or group of characters or title... Do we want this to be? Because now we, we don't know anything about this. We just know it's a Marvel thing. David, you are an expert of Marvel characters. If you could have an adventure game with any Marvel character, what what would you want it to be? Uh, well, my, my personal favorite is I would love to see more Guardian stuff. Uh, so mm. uh, it, and that was even before the movie. <laughs> I'm a big cosmic fan or whatever. I loved like Annihilation Wave and thinking you know, War of Kings yeah. and stuff. So the... Uh, uh, so Give me I Quasar. See- I want Quasar. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be great to see a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, <laughs> the point is that uh, you know I would love to see that direction. I, I honestly, I don't, I don't have any more inf- information than, than you guys do on this. Uh, but you know, I, I'm looking forward to it in general because I think that uh, they do a really good job with the uh, kind of episodic storytelling kind of game, and I think that it'll, it, that's right up. Marvel's Alley, right? That they matches so well, and so I think that uh, I'm excited to see what they come up with. Christian, what's your what's your wish project for this to turn out to be? My wish project is that it's more akin to Wolf Among Us and less akin to Game of Thrones, where I want to be playing like Marvel Heroes does. I want to be playing as a Marvel hero. I don't want to be playing as Vision's assistant navigating a world. <laughs> Gary, the, Gary, the guy who hangs out with the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, or even someone that like, uh, yeah, just a, or I don't want to I don't want to be foggy. Right. I don't want to be solving yeah. law cases. And then Matt shows up bruised and it's like, Matt, are you hurt? Matt will remember that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's not, that's not what I'm looking for, but I understand it's hard to, you know, have you be Peter Parker or something like that. And then have Gwen Stacy die in the game. Maybe it, it's that hard. It's a difficult thing of you're either rehashing stories we know, or you can't kill Eddie Brock yet. He doesn't die. You know, it's like that weird thing. If you're a mainline hero in a, narrative focused game but if i had to choose i would like to be a oh never mind i just as i was babbling i want to play um x-men first class the, oh, the current cool. the current new old x-men where they time traveled and they're in not it's not first class what are they called the original x-men that's the story yeah. i want to play first class um that's cool that's cool i mean i think an actual avengers game would be pretty rad if if it was like all telltale style and it's just talking and wandering around <laughs> I mean, kind of awesome i kind of would love that but here's my prediction here's my actual prediction of what this actually is i think it's going to shock everybody i think it's the runaways i think wow, that's that what they're doing shocking. but that would make because- sense right it feels like that's the property that fits most in their style i think it, it's going to if the, the downside to that is it would disappoint a lot of people who heard a Marvel project is coming and it's like, oh, it's not any of the superheroes that I love. But I really feel like Runaways would be perfect. It's 
it would introduce some really interesting heroes that I think a lot of the mainstream audience doesn't know about. And it has that very perfect tone for, for what their kinds of games are. So that's my prediction anyway. Um, let's hit a couple of other quick stories before we move on. Uh, looks like we're getting a Gears of War remaster coming to Xbox One. Christian, you wanted to talk about that. Are you excited for, uh, slightly prettier Gears of War? At some point, that rumor is there, ha- where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And that rumor keeps coming back. And Black Tusk said, we're not making a Marcus Phoenix, Phoenix collection. So they're just going to call it the Gears of War trilogy. Um, <laughs> I don't mind seeing these things. I hope if it does come out, I hope the net code works. And I hope it's not a Master Chief collection debacle. Um, I, I hope that it doesn't delay the next proper Gears intrigue. I, I've always enjoyed the Gears franchise. I don't think it is. I have a feeling it's not being handled, you know, by um the studio it looks like the rumor is that it's brink and smash damage is working on the remaster and polygon has seen some multiplayer screenshots and seen some intro movie stuff so i think we can expect this thing to come out at e or to be revealed at e3 and unfortunately i think what the publishers and and uh they've been messing up this generation is the pricing of this thing if this thing is is like the god of war 3 remaster that's coming out at a close to if not full price i think that's a miss i think if this thing launches at 40 dollars, yeah i probably will double dip on those games they were some of my favorite from last gen but there's a lot of ifs before that happens yeah i think that um we're more likely to get a new gears announcement at e3 than a gears remaster i think i don't know really yeah i do so i think, think that they're, they're trying oh go ahead I was to say, I think they're going to try to come out with guns blazing and say, we need, you know, we need to amp up the Xbox One's uh, must-have status. And I think that that would be a, I don't think it's coming this year, but I think it's, it's going to be announced at E3 that there's more gears coming to Xbox One. I think there's both. The way I would do this is I would announce the, the remaster first and everyone's like, oh, yawn, expect it. And that, as the end of that, it says, and learn the story that leads into da-da-da-da-da-dun. And then they do a big you know, Gears 4, whatever they call it thing. And everybody's like going crazy. And then it says coming 2017 asterisk, really 2018 asterisk coming for the Xbox too. <laughs> uh, David, you got any, uh, any feelings about this one? Yeah, I, I'm all in favor of remastering great games. So that I, I think that keeping them fresh and keeping them around is something that, uh, that, uh, you know, appeals to me. I, I, in a lot of ways, I wish I could remaster Diablo two, right? Uh, yeah. I would love to see that updated someday. What would yeah. you do? I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Would you just a graphic upgrade or would you actually fiddle with uh, game mechanics? Uh, I would try not to fiddle with many of the mechanics. I would try, maybe I would fiddle with removing the stamina bar and just <laughs> letting you run mm-hmm. all the damn time. But <laughs> other than that, I don't think that would mess with much. I would just, you know, give it a graphic update. So it's, it's relevant today. It's interesting. Wow. Let's, uh, let's figure out a way to make that happen. That would be awesome. Um, <laughs> uh, very cool. Also, Christian, I know, I know you're excited because your Xbox One uh, took a took a nosedive. Uh, are you going to wait for that Halo 5 branded Xbox One? Are you going to get that? It, 
again, if the pricing's right, I feel like they're going to do something smart with it. I bet it will look cool. I bet it will have a terabyte drive or something larger than the standard and come bundled with the game. That could be the thing that gets me gets me back in other than a price drop or a sweet, sweet bundle. My question to you guys is, and Jeff, I don't think you have bought uh, these limited edition consoles. Who do you guys think buys most of these? Is it people that have waited and this gets them in? Or do you think it's multi-console owners, super fans that gobble these things up? David, you want to... I, you know, honestly, I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that there are, but the subset of people that are buying multiple consoles and are, you know, big fans of it, it's tiny. And that m- mainly this is, are, are people that, A, I can, you know, they, they're getting the bundle. I don't know if they're getting it for the actual, you know, graphic look or whatever uh, of the of the box, but it's the, uh, but they're, they're, this is the opportunity. This is the thing that's selling them. They're going to buy this package now. And because this is the game that they're, their killer app or whatever you want to call it, that's going to push them over the fence to get this thing. Yeah. I completely agree with that. I, I think there's a, a smaller group that buys it as collector's editions, but I don't think that that is the majority of people that buy them. It's the people who are like, the reason I would buy an Xbox One is if Halo 5 came out on it. Oh, there's Halo 5 coming out on it, and it's bundled with this Xbox One, and it looks cool because it has a cool X- Halo 5 thing, which is the thing I already like, which is the reason I would want to get this. I don't know. It's, you know, it's all, it's all that. Or it's people whose Xbox One's broke, and they're waiting for some sort of new oh, bundle, man. and their Too name is soon. Christian Spicer. Too yeah. soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. We got a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Oh, also, I, I forgot to mention at the top, uh, this is going to be a special huge bonus edition. You probably noticed if you downloaded this episode, it's a lot longer than normal. Uh, I got some interviews at, uh, at the Heroes of the Dorm and we're going to stick them on the end of this episode. So bully for you guys. You get extra bonus cool content at the end. Um, so stay tuned for that also. But right now we got to, we got to talk about games. We got to talk about the playlist. What you playing? This week and tell us Ooh, you playing this week and tell us on the playlist David, I know that in addition to your own game, Marvel Heroes 2015, uh, you have been playing some other stuff. What's on your playlist? Uh, well, I, I've, I, I for somehow, I, I, I missed kind of the Hearthstone craze for the most part until now it's come to the my phone and now, now I'm, I'm, I'm deep, deep in it here. The, uh, uh yeah. so, uh, <laughs> I've been playing a lot of Hearthstone on my phone, um, which is, it's just really convenient for me because I travel a lot and it's, it's an easy thing to have uh, around and when I'm waiting on whatever. So I've been playing that. Uh, then I also have been playing a little of the city skylines that, uh, I, which I like, I love Sim City type games and, yeah. Uh, so I think that they did a great job with this one. It's uh, it's really good. I'm having a good good time with that. I've heard uh, such great things about City Skylines, and I know that people were saying it's it's the game everybody wanted the last Sim City to be. Um, what has been your experience with with it? You, is it scratching that same itch, or does it carve out its own little niche? No, uh, I mean it, it, it fills the void that I that has been missing for a while. I mean, it's kind of an updated version in a lot of ways of the old sim city stuff it, it, it plays very similarly but uh it's got you know the way that the landscapes work and the curved roads and all the bridges things like that that and all these different buildings you can make and whatnot i think that uh that it's it it was definitely scratching the itch that already existed but uh but it's done it in a really smooth and very you know excellent way i think that it's a it's a it's a smooth experience and easy to play and and fun 
It's super incredible. I've seen uh, some YouTube videos of people who recreated San Francisco, like yeah. almost to scale. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, the game it, looks it, awesome. Yeah, it's an amazing, it's an amazing product to be able to do things like that. It's incredible. Um, and uh, as, well, go ahead, Christian. I'll say a uh, friend and uh, in, in real life friend and listener to this show. Um, Jeff Wood has a podcast. It's called Talking Headways Podcast. And he did an episode with the uh, lead designer of Cities Skylines. That episode is called We Built This City on Transit and Roads. It's interesting if you want to, if people are more interested in that, it's he, um, Jeff does transit stuff in real life. And so it's diving into that kind of um approach of what is this game and public transit and and then they talk about new features coming to the game and stuff like that so talking headways they dive into that game in depth so david what is your uh what is your favorite class to play in hearthstone uh so far i think that uh i i'm i'm still going through the you know the initial missions where you have to unlock all of the you know the different classes and you have to play each one like i don't know 20 times or something like that oh you Uh, are brand new to it aren't you that's crazy that's cool brand new to it uh and so i've completed uh mage and paladin and hunter and warrior and rogue so far uh and so i still have shaman and some others or whatever did to go um but uh i think paladin i i really like Pal- i played paladin in world of warcraft uh and i really like it it but the games are long uh, yeah <laughs> and uh just like you know it plays just like a paladin would in world of warcraft where they're kind of they're really <laughs> tough to beat because they they keep coming back basically from the dead so i i enjoyed that but the games the games are much longer i i've enjoyed mage i think the most though just being able to uh you know, blow things up is, is always fun. That's awesome. It's quite, it's crazy to me that it just needed to be on the phone for you to, for you to get into it. It just needed to be able to take it with you. Yeah, that was the big thing. I mean, I have an iPad, but I don't bring my iPad with me all over the place. So I, you know, it was just it, the fact that it's convenient and I'm able to use it on my phone. That's, and when I sit down to play games on my computer, I end up playing other things that it, it for lack of better description, it's no insult it seems too casual for me to play on my computer for me, but it seems mm-hmm. perfect for my phone. And I don't know why this is my own personal, you know, experience with that. But, uh, but th- th- when I play computer games, I wanted something complex and, you know, it, 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 it seems like it's very complicated though. So I had the wrong impression. It just felt that way. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting to me to hear that, uh, that perspective because I just assumed that the phone version of Hearthstone was sort of preaching to the choir already, you know, it was, was feeding the people that already had the addiction, but it's interesting to see that it, it actually has opened up the player base even more to people that, that hadn't played it until it was on the phone. So that's, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, what, el- what other stuff have, have you got on your uh, playlist? Um, well, I recently f- been playing a lot of this is kind of old for a lot of people now but i had not played it before which was don't starve and i and i really enjoyed that fantastic game uh and then i've also been playing uh, mlb 15 the show i love the um the you know create your own character and take them from the minors to the to the you know the the road to the show i think is what they call it or whatever it's basically the rpg in the baseball game which is just right right up my alley i love sports games in general and uh, and sports in general so uh, and baseball is my favorite sport and for you to be able to create a character i always create like knuckleball pitchers and stuff like that that are really quirky <laughs> and so uh uh you know i've been playing that a lot i love i love those games that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, don't starve. Are you playing that solo or you know, they have the, uh, don't starve together, 
Yeah, I've only been, I only, I think the Don't Starve Together, I don't know if it's officially released, it was kind of in beta or something like that, Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so I've been only been playing it solo. Very, very cool. Uh, That's awesome. Christian, how about you? What's on your playlist? So uh, with my Xbox dead and well, no, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago about how we talked about how I think a game like Batman is to some extent harder or combat is difficult in the same way that bloodborne is and it's watching and looking and moving and now that i have my my tower back my my pc back that had been using as a render machine mostly um i have dove back in and also the hype train for arkham knight is uh oh man it's barreling down the tracks you guys it's coming it's so soon i fired up arkham origins which i never finished i'm very very close now and I know that that game got a lot of flack when it came out for being more of the same, and it certainly launched with some bugs and glitches where you'd get stuck in an elevator and things didn't work right. But coming back to that game now after having not finished it and diving back in and really craving that Batman combat again, it's still so satisfying. Playing on hard without, uh, so it gets rid of the you know spidey sense over the villain's heads when you need to press Y or whatever control mm-hmm. you're using t- to block. And you just get into this large group of of enemies and the rhythm that you get into with that game when everything is clicking, it feels so good. And I don't think any other game combat has matched that yet. And I really, really hope Arkham Knight continues that and doesn't get too far away with the Batmobile and stuff. And I still really like Bloodborne's combat, but... In my opinion, Bloodborne, because enemies deal so much damage, each individual enemy is deadly. So it's the lure guy away with the pebble, parry around, you know, be wary of your environment, and then take down the dude and move on to the next dude. Whereas Batman, it's kind of, it's it's almost the walking dead, right? Where one guy is whatever, a pushover, easy. But they throw these hordes of dudes or five, six dudes on you where one will attack while you're fighting another guy. And you get into this rhythm of combat that one makes you feel like Batman and two is just visceral in a way that um, not gory like Mortal Kombat, which we played uh, (laughs) last Thursday as well, which is holy moly gory. Uh, But yeah, if you haven't checked it out, it's super cheap yet. And if you also are getting hyped for Arkham Knight, it's an easy way to go in and get your your Batman fix. And especially if you missed it when it came out because of the bugs, um, it seems to be playing very well for me now on PC and I'm. I'm really enjoying it. Did you ever go back and finish that game, Jeff? I know you were kind of no. uh, more of yeah. the same camp. Yeah, no, I did not. I, I'm Now that you have a PC and you're able to play PC games, I really want you to play Hand of Fate. You got to try that game, dude. Oh, it's, uh, on, a, it's on PlayStation. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. That, that's I the card that. game. That's the card game, Batman. And then you go in and fight Yes! Games. Yeah, it's, it's on so PSN. Good. I have it. It's on Vita too. Um, I haven't played it, but I have it downloaded, and, and I just haven't. Uh, oh, you got to try that game. I think you're going to date the 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 combat is not as refined as a you know an Arkham game, but it's in that same vein. And I think if you like it, you'll like it. Uh, you know, for the same reasons. And while it's not you know not quite there, it's still close enough that it's still really fun. And and the farther you get into it, the more layers they add onto the encounters. So things get more and more interesting in a in a way that's different from the way they got interesting in Batman games. Like there's more things to deal with. There'll be environmental things that'll pop up that you'll have to avoid, and different you know counters that the enemies are doing or or things they're throwing at you. It's 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 pretty cool. And the presentation of that world is is awesome. Anyway. No, I, mean, I, mean, I have it. 
I have it. I will. I will. The 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 part that struck me there though is the combat's not quite as refined. Where I'll, let's be honest, one Bark, uh, Arkham Origins I think is the tightest Arkham story of any of those games yet. It's very simple, but I like that. Um, but that the combat being as tight as it is is what keeps me coming back. It's the reason that I was you know top one hundred on leaderboards back in the day on um, I think it was Arkham City like that just clicks for me. It, it, it it's almost a rhythm game when everything's going right and you're just you're reading yeah. the flow of the dudes and you feel. Like the night. Um, I've been playing a game on iOS called Does Not Commute. Have you guys heard of this? Uh, it's pretty great. It is, uh, <laughs> it's a top down map of a city and it starts out and you, you have a little car in the city driving through the city and you need to get from point A to point B. And it's not very complicated. You, you know, maybe drive forward, turn right, turn left and go to the top of the screen. And you, you start at the bottom of the screen and you need to get to the top of the screen. And you know, you're, you're driving around a house and driving down the street, whatever. And it says, Oh, Judy needs to get to work. She's late. And you, you take her to work. And then you, and then you, you did that. And then it throws another person at you. Uh, Tim needs, uh, forgot to take the garbage to the dump. So he needs to take the garbage to the dump and he's in a dump truck and he needs to go from the bottom of the screen to the upper left. So you take Tim from the bottom right to the upper left, but it goes back in time and layers Tim on top of what you did with Judy. And then you get to the third person and they're layering and layering and layering on top. So you're creating this complicated web of people negotiating traffic and you're doing it to yourself. So if you make them go through the same intersection at the same time, you're going to run into, you're going to cause an accident with yourself later. So it's got this crazy time travel esque mechanic where you're late. You got to plan ahead. Okay. Well, that guy needs to get around that corner really fast. And so I need to have this person have a wide berth <laughs> around the corner to make room in advance for the next person. Although you don't know what's coming. Uh, and you're doing this all against a clock. So you're using up time as a resource. Uh, you have a rewind button. If you, if you get into a sticky situation, you can rewind, but that costs a second from your time. Uh, the aesthetic is really charming. It's got this kind of like fifties old car culture aesthetic and it is wickedly addictive because you, it's, it's got that just one more, one more round kind of thing because, uh, when you'll have these 15 people that need to get to places all layered on top of one, one another. And then the last person will get to the next screen and just start the next group of 15 people that you need, need to get to someplace. Uh, it's free, but barely free. It's basically two bucks because uh, there are no saves in the free version. You'd have to start at the very beginning every play session, which basically makes the game unplayable at a certain point. You can replay that first level only so many times before you want to kill yourself. Uh, so it's basically two bucks. And I think the fact that it's free is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, but I, I recommend this game. It's called Does Not Commute. And, uh, it, it drives you, it drives you crazy because you are creating your own chaos, which is really, really fun. Um, and oh, I, the one thing I left out is the way the cars handle is sort of purposely, uh, difficult and unwieldy. And you have a left and a right turn on the either side of your device, either your iPad or your iPhone. And, uh, so it, it, it's all in, it's left and right in relation to where the car is pointed. So you get yourself in these crazy situations where you forget which way is left and right. And it's just a recipe for chaos that is pretty fun. 
I really like it. Does not commute is what it's called. What are you playing it on? Did you say I might have missed it? Are you playing on your phone? I'm playing or on my, iPad? my iPad, but I think it would be good on the phone. Um, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that I spent all day yesterday at the Heroes of the Dorm finals, which was uh, the the big competition for Heroes of the Storm with uh, college kids competing to earn their tuition for the rest of their college careers. And uh, it was this live esports thing. It was on ESPN2. The finals were on ESPN2. I went all day and watched the, the final four, which they called the Heroic Four, uh, and then watched the finals at night. Um, it was great, man. It was great. I am in the past. I think people heard me back in the weekend confirmed days, uh, maybe be not as enthusiastic about esports, but I have come around. I being in that auditorium with that crowd, watching those kids play, it was as thrilling to me as any sporting event I've ever been to. I've been to football, basketball, hockey. I've been to the Super Bowl. I've been, you know, I've been to any, I've been to professional wrestling, (laughs) you know, and, while all those were, were thrilling, none of them surpassed the, the moments of excitement that I, that I had last night watching these kids play a video game in front of hundreds of people screaming for them. It was kudos to the game. I mean, I, you know, obviously I'm very into this game. I, I have talked about it many times. I love Fears of the Storm. So I understand what's going on on a very deep level on the screen. And I think that maybe people who weren't as into the game might not enjoy it as much as I. And I, I probably wouldn't enjoy other esports as much as I enjoyed this one, but I w- would find it difficult to believe anybody watching would not understand and get at least some thrill out of watching. It, it was thrilling. It was such a back and forth. Uh, the final was UC Berkeley versus Arizona State. UC Berkeley had not dropped a single game. Most of the matches are best of three games. The final was best of five. They had not dropped a single game on their road to the finals and were completely dominant, just crushing people. They get to the finals. It goes to a fifth game. They drop their first ever game and then their second ever game. The matches are back and forth, coming from behind, down. It, it was as amazing. It was like you would write a sporting event, how you would want it to, to turn out. It was underdog moves and crazy, brilliant plays and wild strategies. And it, it just was so, so thrilling. Uh, and, and kudos to them for handling it so well as far as the presentation. I thought, you know, I have some complaints about how ESPN broadcast the event. I thought, um, I wish there had been more discussion of like the individual talents that the players were selecting. I think that's an interesting part of the game, but I, they probably didn't want to overcomplicate it to, to, you know, the mainstream audience. And also they would show up these graphics. They put up a graphic of like Diablo and list out all his skills. You know, it'd be like shadow, uh, shadow assault and lightning breath. And it's like, well, that doesn't give any information to anybody. It's like the name of their, their talent. It doesn't help anybody. It just looks like video games gibberish. Uh, and I think they could have done a better, uh, you know, a better way of, of handling that. But there was one moment in the early games when, um, ASU was actually playing against, uh, Boston College. And the Boston College kids were the underdogs there. The ASU on their bracket side were heavily favored and had been pretty dominant as well. And Boston College was on their way to winning a game. And they showed this camera shot 
they had like little webcams mounted on each of the PCs so they could cut to the shots of the actual players. And this kid, this college kid was sitting there like knowing that it was time to attack the core, which is how you win. And he's bopping up and down in his chair and they don't have a mic on him, but you can read his lips and he's going core, 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 core. And I swear to God, I got tears in my eyes, man. It was like, it was thrilling to see this kid so jazzed and so excited about potentially winning. It was, it was an amazing event and I was so pleased to be there. Uh, and like I said, at the end of this episode, you're going to hear some interviews that I had with uh, some of the designers of uh, here's the storm, which was, which was really cool too. So we will paste those on the end of this episode, but um, David, how do you feel about esports? Do you think that they have a chance to enter the mainstream? I mean, ESPN two is pretty, pretty mainstream. Yeah. I, yeah, I think they already have entered the mainstream. The, uh, yeah, you're uh, right. You know, I think that they're going to become more and more popular uh, as time goes on. I mean, the fact is that gaming's not going away. Gaming is, and people that are participating in esports, they're younger now, but they'll get older. And 20 years from now, they'll be making the decisions of what to put on ESPN, <laughs> and yeah. it will be it'll be esports, right? So. Uh, it's not going away. There's plenty of money involved in it. Uh, there's lots of support. Uh, and I think that it's awesome, not only for gaming, but it's just really as any kind of gaming fan or sporting fan at all. Um, I think that uh, it's it's wonderful. Christian, did you flip on any of this last night at any, ch- at any point? I did not. I, I uh, No, I wasn't interested just in the same way I don't watch hockey. But I'm glad it went well. It was... It was phenomenal. I, I think that it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been more thrilling. Like it went to the fifth and final decisive game and that game was back and forth and you didn't know who was going to win at any point. I mean, it, it really was tremendous. It was tremendous. Anyway, uh, hopefully people saw my, my tweets last night about it and I, I posted a picture of like at the end, they had all this confetti coming down. It was, it made it feel like a, an event, which, which it should. And I know, I know people have been to the international and talk about Dota and, and that, I only peripherally paid attention to in the past. And, and this is sort of the game that I'm more interested in. So I guess I paid more attention to it, but I'm on board now, man. I'm on board. I get it. I get it. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's, uh, that's what I wanted to contribute to the playlist. Uh, so let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. I am so excited to have a guest on the show that plays board games. Uh, but first, I do need to thank our second sponsor, which is Hover. Hover is a domain name service. When you have a great idea and you want to secure the domain name for it, you want something catchy and you want something memorable and you want something that represents your online identity. And with Hover, you can find the perfect domain to bring your idea to life. It's easy. You just search for the domain you want, enter a few keywords, and Hover will show you the best available options and suggestions. So you don't have to rack your brain and keep finding out that everything's taken. They will show you a variety of things with a variety of domain extensions like .com, .net, .io, country codes that best suit your needs. They got you covered. You'll get smart control panel with built-in DNS, and you can even add a custom email or Google apps if you want as well. Hover offers a valet transfer service to make it as easy as possible to move your domains for no additional cost, and they do all the dirty work to move your domain over from your current registrar. Top it all off, Hover has real human beings 
Available for support with no wait, no hold, no transfer phone service. If you've got any problems, just pick up the phone and call them. So head over to hover.com slash five by five. That's H-O-V-E-R.com slash five by five to learn more and get the domain of your dreams. We thank Hover for supporting five by five. That's hover.com slash five by five. David, you are a board gamer like I am. Uh, it's in your Twitter profile, so I know it's got to be real. I'm excited <laughs> about that. Uh, tell me about some board games you've been playing. Uh, yeah, well, I have a ridiculous amount of <laughs> board games at home, uh, uh, and we play a lot. I play with my kids and stuff, too. Uh, but awesome. we just got our uh, uh, new gaming table, our custom geek chic gaming table. So, Oh, uh, my God, I'm so are, jealous. Uh, yeah, it, it's it been it, we've ordered like a year ago or something like that. It's been very exciting to have it in the house, and uh, and uh, we my my favorite board game of all time is Arkham Horror, and so we've been uh, playing that. You know, set that up and uh, and been going through that. Uh, it takes a long time to set up and 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 play through it, so it's easy to cover it up and then, you know, have it there and then uncover it and continue. So, uh, that, uh, that was the number one thing I wanted to buy it for. So I can have a game of Arkham Horror going at any time. So we've been playing that. Um, and then, uh, well, let's just, let's just explain if, if anybody doesn't know what Arkham Horror is, it's a massive, uh, Cthulhu themed, um, um, HP Lovecraft themed cooperative game where you're trying to literally save the planet from these horrific, Cthulhu-esque creatures coming through portals. Uh, and it is a massive game with tons of fiddledy bits, a gigantic board, uh, and it's very difficult. It's very difficult to win that game. Yeah, and lots of rules. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, it is very complicated, but very ultimately, when you win, very rewarding. We've I've only won a few times, but we played many. It's it's very difficult. <laughs> Do you prefer Arkham Horror to Eldritch Horror? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, we have both, but the uh, I do. I mean, Eldritch Horror is usually what I introduce people to more, earlier than I would introduce them to Arkham Horror. But the mm-hmm. uh, it's because it's kind of a lighter version of the same thing, um, right? Uh, and a little bit streamlined. So uh, that uh, you know, I, I I enjoy them both. But I I you know, I when I really want to get super nerdy and geeky, it's like yeah, I've got to get to that that base level super complexity of Arkham Horror. Awesome. Uh, so what else have you been playing? Uh, let's see with the gaming group last week, we played flashpoint, which is, uh, you know, a firefighter game, which I didn't think, you know, would be great, but, uh, it is really fun. I, I really, we really enjoyed that a lot. Um, uh, you know, you're going in as firefighters and fighting, uh, you know, there's little blazes throughout of structure and you have to go rescue people and bring them out to the ambulance. And there's a fire truck that you can drive around the outside and hose down parts. And anyway, it's, it, it's quite, quite interesting and very different kind of gaming experience than, than I, you know, it's so many games are this fantasy thing or this sci-fi thing or whatever. And for it to be you know, fighting fires is something that's very, very different. Yeah, yeah, I own uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue as well. It's it's very cool, and it is definitely that that game that you can bring out to people that might not be interested in uh, you know orcs and dragons and space pistols and all that stuff. Uh, right. They get it; they they understand the concept. You know, you got to put out the fire and save the puppy inside the building. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I that, I completely agree. You know, <clears throat> yeah, we don't start people out with Zia, for instance, that's <laughs> right. right. Um, and you've also been playing Love Letter, you said? Yeah, that's a, that's a really casual but very fun game. Uh, 
it's super, super simple, but the amount of combinations and strategy and all sorts of fun things that come out of it's a very social game. Uh, we've been, we've enjoyed that game a lot. Super simple, very, it's not very expensive. There's only, I don't know, like 13 cards or something like that. I don't even know if there are that many. And, uh, but just a fantastic, fantastic game. Lots of strategies, lots of, lots of tricking that you can go on to. And every game is different. Yeah. And Christian, they're making love letter Batman. (laughs) Oh, I know. uh, Was that with you? Maybe it was with, uh, uh, Chris, uh, our friend Chris, we we uh, we know we looked at it and um, or the you know the the pre order information or whatever it was. Um, I'm excited. I I uh, I realize it's a, a what silly cash in, but uh, you got it. <laughs> it's a little weird that you know Batman is writing love letters to his villains, but you know, well, I'll I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Um, and David, the the game that you mentioned that I'm most excited about because I have not had a chance to play this yet is the dice version of Pandemic. Right, yeah, Pandemic the Cure, the dice right. version. Uh, yeah, and that, that's really fun. It's a great game. Uh, uh, I, I think that the first time we played it, it was ridiculously easy. Like, the easy mode is... Obs- because Pandemic is probably well-known as it's a cooperative game. This game is cooperative as well, uh, but it's super difficult, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and But this one seemed like, oh, there was no challenge at all. We played it twice on the easy mode, and it wasn't that hard. But then, you know, we started, there are different levels of difficulty that you can kind of set the game at. And we set it uh, the last time on the hardest level, and it was, it was hard. So it was, it was much more stressful than it had been in the past, and we enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, so I so- recommend, if you're, you know, if you're, familiar with pandemic you play it kind of on that harder level you get the first game you should play just to get to know it on that easy one but but ratchet up the difficulty so explain to me how the dice mechanic works because in in pandemic you're you know you're running around the 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 planet the globe uh trying to squash out these uh these diseases um are are the are the dice working as a sort of a resource for you to use up on your moves no, uh, they're they're the disease themselves. So there's kind of this ring mm. in the middle. Uh, everybody has different character classes. So that's first first part. So there's I don't know, let's say 10, 10 different character classes, and you randomly choose them, and then they have a specific set of dice that goes with that character class. And there's different things that you can do. Some of them are based on oh, I'm the transport guy, I'm the cure person, I'm the research person. There's like there, there's different mechanics for each one of the which, and then there's this ring in the center, and then there's six platforms around the outside, and the dice are, uh, the, the disease dice are, there's four different colors, and you're trying to cure all four diseases, and you, you randomly reach in this bag, and you pull out a certain amount of dice, four to six or seven dice, something like that, and you roll them, and what that rolls up to kind of goes to the six different platforms around the outside, and then if you have more than three of a particular color on one of those little platforms, then an outbreak occurs and, you know, and mm. then lots more dice come in. And then the mechanic is kind of, you get these, you take these dice and you move them into the center and then you can either take them as a sample or you can try and cure uh, the disease by using the samples that you collect. When you collect a sample, your dice gets set aside with that particular sample. And so now you're the, the dice that you use to actually do your moves with uh, and your character, you're diminished by one. So, like, you have to take enough samples so that your total of sample rolls, you have, let's say, four sample rolls. That means that you get to roll four dice, 
and the total of needs to add up to more than 13 or something like that. So, uh, so as you're trying to cure it, you're kind of limiting the amount of moves that you can make with your particular character and stuff. So lots of strategy involved in who's taking what and, and, uh, and how to get those samples to get that score to cure the disease. Crazy. That sounds awesome. It sounds very different than Pandemic, which which is it's cool. It's not that they just remade it with dice. It's got its own flair, flavor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is. It's similar and different. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man, I'm just jealous of you rolling those dice on that awesome geek chic table. I Every time I go to a convention, <laughs> every time I go to PAX, there's always the geek chic tables and I'm always like coveting them someday. Someday I will own one. Um, Christian, you have been playing some board games with your daughter. She has uh, taken the plunge in the board gaming world. She is two and a half. So the first game we played um, was actually um, Ticket to Ride. And she, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Should have went with um, Arkham Horror. <laughs> right. <laughs> she was a real natural. I don't know if that was impressive <laughs> or disturbing. Um, we She has played, she has a little animal game of memory, which she's really good at. 50% of the time, the other percent of the time to turn it over and she'll just go cow and then get real happy. And just like, that's kind of the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, she also has a game called count your chickens, which is, it, let's be honest. These aren't, um, these are edutainment and actually not even much tainment. They're more just edu, um, educational game. It's a cooperative game where you're spinning a, a little dial and it lands on an animal and that's how many, pieces on the those animals are also on the board and that's where you move your you're the mother chicken and all these little baby chickens are out of the coop and they have to get back home to their coop before the mother chicken gets home who you are advancing so you spin the little thing and let's say you get a cow you move the mother chicken to the cow piece but however many spaces that is that's how many baby chickens you put back in the coop so you keep adding chickens into the coop unless your spinner lands on the fox which gets <laughs> I think we've a, already talked about this too long. <laughs> no, 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 no. Which gets to adorable moments of uh, a two and a half year old going, um, don't get Fox, don't get Fox, don't get Fox, no one get Fox, which is really funny out of a two and a half year old's mouth where it sometimes doesn't sound like Fox. <laughs> I bet. Um, I would yeah. highly recommend, she, she might be a little young yet, but look into Haba Games. Haba yes. is a company that makes games for little kids and, and there's some really great ones. We have discussed um, that. We will. Um, but yeah. you and I also played, uh, a real game known as Masquerade. Yes, we did a Bruno Fiduti game. Um, he's the guy who, who, who designed Citadels and, um, um, Ink and Gold, which are two excellent games as well. Uh, this is a game that came out a couple years ago. And it is pretty rad. It's, it's, um, basically a, a role selection game. You, you have a bunch of roles, 13 of them come in the box. You can play up to 13 people, which is very rare in, in designer board games to play that many people. Um, and, uh, you're basically trying to acquire gold. The first person to get to 13 gold wins. And the way you do that is by, activating the role that you have on your card. So basically if your card says king, you can get a bunch of gold or if your card set card says thief, you can steal gold from another player. There's a whole, every card has its own function, uh, way to get gold. The trick is that you get your role and then you flip it over. And then the first four turns of the game, people switch roles with each other without looking at the cards. So you take the card, you put it underneath the table with another, with somebody else's card and you, give them back one of the cards and they don't know which one they got back. So at a certain point, nobody knows who they are exactly. And then through the course of the game, you have three options. You can look at your card to find out who you are, but that uses up your turn. 
You can switch cards with somebody else again under the table without knowing, without them knowing whether they got back a new card or the same card. Or you can activate the role on the card. And you can activate the role on the card without necessarily knowing that you actually have that card. And then if somebody else says, wait, you don't have that card. I have that card. Then there's a challenge and every both people flip over their cards and you find out who was telling the truth and who wasn't. And the loser has to give up some gold and the winner gets to activate the card. So it works out like this wonderful bluffing game and bluffing in the sense of maybe you do know what you've got and you're bluffing or bluffing in the sense of I don't nobody knows what I've got. And so I'm giving it a shot. Here we go. Let's see if I have it uh, wild and and fun. What did you think of it, Christian? It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, you described it, I think, best when we were playing as you kept you were literally laughing with glee. And you must have said this five times in in the middle of our game where you kept going. It's like that scene in Princess Bride. And it really is yeah. where I clearly can't take the one in front of me. Yeah, yep, it, it yep. is that yeah. it's that scenario over and over and over and over again. And um, it plays into Jeff's favorite type of game of lying, even though Jeff is a horrible board game liar. And it plays liar. into to my strength of game, um, fake overconfidence, where I think I've got it all figured <laughs> out. And boy, do I not. <laughs> I did not do well, but it was enjoyable. And it's a quick play. We also had a friend um, stop by and give us a quick rundown. We played with the minor rule variant, which... Um, you know, changed it a little bit where after you know what your card is, you put a little act, you know, you mark it so that you can't just keep playing the same thing over and over and over again. You basically have to shuffle because otherwise you can get locked into a thing of the person with the best card just keeps playing it and no one can call BS on them because you know they have it. Um, so I think that variant helped and it certainly helped as always to have someone explain the game in two minutes versus you looking at the rule book going, I don't know. <laughs> yes always always good to have a, a teacher uh but this is a game that's uh i think less than 20 bucks and um they already have an expansion out for it that adds even more cards and even more roles uh the roles are pretty clever as i said there's 13 of them and they all work a little differently but uh it's a game that i think could work as an intro to, to new gamers but it it's the kind of thing where like okay here's what here's how to play and now you don't know anything. So I think there's a, a speed bump there that's built into the game intentionally that might throw off some people that aren't used to playing hobby games. But if you can get over that speed bump, if you can just kind of settle into understanding and get through one round of it, people kind of figure it out. Uh, but it is that kind of thing where it's like, okay, so remember all that stuff I told you? Now you have no information upon which to make your decisions. So have fun and people can be, you know, off put by that, but I think it's, it's certainly worth it. It's called Masquerade and it's from Bruto Fiduty. Uh, and it's published by Repos Games, I think it's called. I have it here looking at it right now. Uh, anyway, um, I went out and bought it after we played it. So I'm, I'm excited to play it with, to see if it works with actually with 13 people. Cause that seems like a really fun, crazy number of people, but it might slow down to the point where it's not fun at that point. So we'll see. I will report back. Uh, Christian, you also got, um, Splendor for your uh, mother-in-law. It was her birthday yesterday and you had brought Splendor over and introduced it to Amanda and I, and Amanda loved it. Um, I think it's because she picked up on it very quickly. I mean, it's not the hardest game to understand, but yeah, we got that for her and, uh, we started to fire it up yesterday, but ended up being that, uh, parents were tired, but we will give it another go. And this will be there. They love board games and play 
I don't know what the word is. They're not designer games per se, but uh, it's not certainly Monopoly or anything like that either, where they get into classic old games. Um, and, and of course, Cribbage is a, a stalwart in that family, as well as, whatever, I don't even know. I'll send you links, Jeff, because otherwise it's me rambling, trying to explain what they are. But I wouldn't call them designer games in the sense of the games that we play, but they're also not uh, Monopoly. I'll link them and we can uh, talk about it next week. Sounds good. All right. Uh, as I said, we got much more content coming for you uh, at the end of this episode. We do have our parting gift, and we also have two big interviews coming, so stay tuned. But we do need to wrap up. Uh, this has been an awesome episode. Um, I have I have really enjoyed having David Brevik on the show. Thank you, David, for being here. Uh, where can people find out more about your game and what you're up to? Uh First off, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And it was fun for me, too. Uh, we You can go find Marvel Heroes at marvelheroes.com. That's uh, Marvel Heroes 2015 and download it there. Uh, it's for PC and Mac. And then uh, if they want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at David Brevik. And um, the uh, you know I stream the game as well uh, several nights a week. And so if they want to follow that or check out a stream, watch me play with the community and stuff, uh, we're at on Twitch at the jungle queen. Awesome. The jungle queen. Very that's cool. my wife's account and we stream together. So that's <laughs> oh, how neat. Wow. That's cool. Man. Playing board games with your kids, streaming games with your wife. Yeah, you got to figure it out, man. You got to figure it out. That's cool. <laughs> I'm very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a mighty one in the, in the chat is saying there's no hots primer today, but guess what? There's an hour of hots coverage coming up after the, we wrap this show. So stay tuned for that. You're going to have to download the episode. Uh, to get that, but uh, it'll be worth it. I promise. Christian, what about you? What's going on this week? This Friday at UCB Sunset, if you are in Los Angeles, is Trifecta, which I host with Moses Storm, who you might have seen. And um, what's oh, I'm, I'm about to plug a movie that I forgot. Unfriended is that the the Skype horror movie? It had a different name when I saw it at South. Um, yeah, at, Unfriended. Uh, unfriended. Uh, you you roll it off. Have you watched it, Jeff? No, I have not. It's effective. I mean, it is what it is. It's a cheaply made you know, found footage-esque horror movie, but um, I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not going to say you should go spend $14 to watch it in theaters, but if you like um, jump scare horror movies that are simple in premise and executed well, um, it's really interesting. And I love experimental film where it was literally all you see is a Skype window or a computer monitor as your screen. They never break that. It's uh, it's cool. Anyway, Trifecta is a comedy show, though. <laughs> it's uh, Friday, 1030 at UCB Sunset. And if you're not in L.A., my comedy album is still out there called Moment in Time. Jeff, what's popping for you, buddy? Oh, I got my usual, uh, the Slash Filmcast. I don't think there's a new episode this week. I think we're taking a week off, and uh, we'll be back at you next week for um, Avengers Age of Ultron, which I'm seeing tomorrow night. Very excited. Uh, David, did you get to see that early? Yeah. Oh, no spoilers, but I'm very jealous. I'm seeing it tomorrow. Um, but, uh, also the, we have concerns. We have concerns. Uh, we have a new guest episode coming this week. That's the comedy show that I do science and comedy. It's at wehaveconcerns.com. We had Trisha, uh, um, Hershberger on the show. She is awesome and funny. And that was a really fun conversation with her and a special bonus episode for patrons. It's really cool. Um, so we have concerns.com for that. Uh, and yeah. And we're getting excited. We're getting excited for E3. We're going to be doing lots of fun stuff for that coming up. So um, stay tuned here. Again, we have um, interviews coming up with um, 
the designers of Here's the Storm. So stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to give you your parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. David, do you have a suggestion of something to keep the people uh, occupied through the week that might not be a video game? Wow. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I, I don't really have a suggestion myself. I, what I do that isn't video game things, I guess it's kind of related. Is I, I, I paint minis, and then I also do things. Oh, I, awesome. I, I, uh, I've taught myself ukulele lately, and I've been focused on that. So that's something very Whoa. different. Than <laughs> Will you adopt me? You sound like the coolest guy ever. Um, what minis do you paint? Do you paint uh, Warhammer minis, or is there something else? I do. Yeah, I paint Warhammer minis, but I just finished painting uh, uh, minis for Shadow of Brimstone, uh, the, yeah. the game or whatever. So the, uh, I, that's what I've been doing lately, but mostly I paint Warhammer. Does it require – it feels like it would require more patience than I have. Does it require patience? It does require a lot of patience, but uh, mm. I, I have a lot of patience. I also make Gundam models, which also <laughs> takes a lot of patience. Oh, red. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I got to get some more, some more hobbies, man. Uh, Christian, how about you got a, you got a parting gift for the folks? Batman Mad Love is a trade paperback and or graphic novel done in the Batman, the animated series vein written by Paul Denny. And it's an awesome Harley Quinn story. Um, if you haven't checked it out, a lot of people might've missed it when it came out. It is cheap to get. And if you loved, uh, animated series, it is really cool. What do you think about them? Uh, them Joker tats, maybe about um, them Joker tats. Like the Joker tats. I actually didn't see the picture. I just saw a picture. I just saw the picture of Guy Pierce from Memento, and someone dyed his hair green. So I don't know what. The- <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I'm getting very excited because it's only a couple weeks away from a new Neil Stevenson novel coming out. Uh, I think it's called Seven Eves. Is his new novel, new sci-fi novel? So if you haven't read any Neil Stevenson, I can recommend. I. People ask me what my favorite book of all time is, and I'm a hard-pressed to answer, but traditionally I have said The Baroque Cycle by Neil Stevenson is my favorite. It's three massive tomes. They're gigantic volumes, but they're so good. They're so good. It's all about the birth of currency and this swashbuckling adventure novel, and it goes back and forth between time and and um, uh, has characters in it like Sir Isaac Newton, and it's just awesome uh but i also recommend the cryptonomicon by neil stevenson and of course everybody knows about snow crash and diamond age uh so if you you haven't read any neil stevenson do yourself a favor real read neil stevenson uh or wait for his new novel i'll tell you how that is as soon as it comes out i'm gonna dive into it i'm super excited um so that should get you through uh again we got um we got dustin browder coming up we've got uh koa milker milk yeah, that's right, right? Oh, I mispronounce his name all the time. Uh, but these are, these are, uh, the designers of Here's of the Storm, uh, coming up right now. Uh, but we're gonna wrap up this episode of DLC proper by thanking you guys for being here. Uh, thanking all the folks at DLC. Uh, until next time, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. All right, I am very pleased to have Dustin Browder joining me on the show this week. Uh, he is the game director for Heroes of the Storm. Uh, welcome, Dustin. Thank you very much. Good Thank to be here. You. Yeah. Um, 
And my my listeners know that I am a gigantic fan of Heroes of the Storm. It's really all I can talk about, and they've gotten <laughs> quite annoyed by it because I nice. I play about three or four hours a day. I'm hooked. I'm hooked on this wow. game like I have not been in a long time to anything. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and I'm loving it. Um, we just got a firm release date, June second. Super excited about that. Yep. Uh, what goes into the decision process at Blizzard to have a game come out of beta and and be released? Uh, well, it's you know it's it's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. You know, obviously, you know we're talking heavily to our engineers about how they feel about uh, the service and how they feel about stability. Um, you know, and, and even then, you don't really know, right? Because mm. we need to send people show up on day one and and see how everything holds up. We've had you know scenarios in the past where. You know, we add a few more users, and it doesn't seem like that's that big a deal. And suddenly, it trips something in the hardware, and things go wrong. So, that's probably our biggest um, group with the most authority to decide when we go uh, mm-hmm. at this point. And we also talk about the content and the quality of the experience. Do we feel like we're going to deliver something to our players that matches our standards for Blizzard? Do we feel like this is this is good? This is something we believe in. This is something that we're excited about. This is something you know we're ready to go with, and we're we're ready to get out in, into the hands of our players and sort of stand behind and say, you know, this is this is a version that's that's good to go. Obviously, we're going to keep working on it. Obviously, it's going to keep getting better um, for many years to come. I think you know World of Warcraft has shown that. Really, all of our games over the years have shown that we're you know enthusiastic to sort of stay with it and keep patching and developing the game. Um, this game, of course, being free to play allows us to continue to do that for, for many, many years to come. And so there will be, you know, further improvements as we go forward. It's one of the sort of the central messages of this game for us is you haven't seen anything yet. This is nothing is final. We're always going to be working on this game as long as we've got, you know, three guys who are willing to play it with us. Or I guess really we're going to need about nine guys to play it with us. <laughs> right. As long as we've got some guys willing to play it with us, we want to keep, keep working on this game. And so... Um, there will be more coming and there will be, you know, new features, lots of fixes, lots of things coming. But we do think we have a product that we're excited about. We have something we're ready to stand behind. And, and the last sort of bit that we were waiting to see was, you know, were the engineers ready uh, to, to go for a launch? And, you know, they said that they were. And so we're going to go for it and, uh, you know, go for, for June 2nd and uh, get it into the hands of many, many more players and sort of see what happens and, and see, you know, how we did. Yeah, I mean, I am certainly not impartial on this. I I adore the game, and I think you guys have really managed to create something special. And I'm excited to have uh, more victims. I mean, players uh, in in the in the pool. Um, I think that the biggest challenge for a game like this, and the biggest my sort of biggest challenge in in game to game, is matchmaking. Um, Sure. I imagine a larger pool of players will improve that. Is well, it, it will improve matchmaking, but temporarily it will do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been adding a lot of people over the last couple of months. I'm not going to say our matchmaking is perfect by any means, but um, it's going to struggle a little bit as we add a lot of new players to the pool who we know nothing about. Um, we, we don't really know how good you are coming in. We have a little survey at the beginning that we ask questions about, you know, what kind of player are you? And that sort of determines what kind of tutorial experience you're going to get and has some impact on, on the matchmaking. But we don't really know how truthful you were. You know, mm-hmm. in, that tuto- in that experience, you may have said, you know, you may be a veteran who wants to see the tutorial anyway. And so, you know, you're right. like, oh, I'll see the tutorial. Or, or you may be somebody who's naturally good, you know, at, at video games in general. And so when we get a larger group of people into the pool, for several weeks minimum, our matchmaking gets a little bit more exciting um, as the matchmaker tries to figure out where everyone's really at. Mm-hmm. Um, so those first few days around you know, open beta and launch, from the matchmaking perspective, are probably our worst case scenario. 
where we know the least about everyone and there's lots of people showing up. And after that, it should continue to improve. But uh, I know that the, you know, we've been getting a lot of feedback about matchmaking from our community and the engineers are not sort of assuming that that's because we have new people coming into the pool. They are assuming we have issues that they want to solve and they are you know, actively studying the, the issues right now and they're actively looking at what's going on to see what we can do to, to sort of improve everyone's experience. We're getting lots of you know, feedback from people on forums, uh, um, our forums, on Reddit and other places all over the world. We're getting feedback from people and we're getting a lot of feedback internally as well. Mm-hmm. People are sending us specific replays and they're saying, hey, this was my experience. I checked this guy's rank and he was ranked two and I'm ranked 20. And what does this mean? And then we're able to actually go and look inside at the matchmaker and see that match specifically and see what did the matchmaker, what was it thinking when it made that match? What were its thoughts? And then we can sort of try to tune its little brain um, to uh, make it a better experience. Yeah. Uh, is there any thought of giving players more information, like knowing what a player level is as as the team gets assembled in quick match or or even in hero um, league we can what we're doing right now and it's it's you're having this discussion around our our uh our rank system as well our rank system is 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 has two components to it one is it has a skill component to it and the other component is participation so right now for example you uh might be you know rank 40 because you're kind of new to the game you've been playing some rank games right mm-hmm and uh, you're so good, though, that we think you're going to make it to rank five, right? Hmm. And so we're watching you go towards rank five now. Um, but you need to participate and get a certain number of games before you get there. Mm-hmm. And so you're running to other players, maybe rank seven or eight. And you'll think, what is this nonsense? Well, you're doing really well, right? Like you're yeah. actually on your way there. But participation is a factor. So we're discussing how much participation we should really ask for. Like the other way to go with this scenario is to say, oh, welcome. We think you're rank five. There you're rank five. Right. right, and just make you rank five immediately, which means we don't really care how much you play. Once you played, you know, twenty games, you can ah, just make them rank five. We that's the end of the story. We kind of want you to participate as well, um, and also continue to tune. Because maybe you're not rank five, maybe you're rank, maybe you're rank four. You know what I mean? And we want to yeah. we want to get you there. And so, um, it's sort of an open question for us right now. It's something we're definitely discussing: is how much participation should this system be about? You compare it to a game like StarCraft, right, where mm-hmm. your actual position in the individual divisions was participation based but your actual position gold silver bronze all that stuff was known pretty quickly we had a pretty good idea of where you're going to be within uh you know five to ten games yeah uh, i think the 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 matchmaking experts at that point said 25 games for sure we'd have a pretty solid lock on which broadband you wanted to fall into and so we had feedback about that system that you know it's really cool that you know where i'm at and you put me there but man i just nothing changes for months and months and months it's not that fun right mm-hmm. so we're trying to walk the line between accuracy and fun right now and i think we might be a little bit too far on the line of of being participation based and not enough you know maybe to get you where you belong a little quicker but these are all really good questions you know we're we're not going to be i think in in our first season when we launch we'll still be probably be in a season 0 mm-hmm. in a preseason state where we where we sort of go through and tune some of these numbers a little bit more as we get a lot of feedback from our players I've really been enjoying watching uh, Heroes of the Dorm. Um, by the time uh, my listeners hear this, we'll have already seen the finals. I'm, I'm right. going to the finals live. Really excited about that. Um, how? What is your take on on how Heroes of the Dorm has gone? I'm sure you guys have enjoyed it, but do you have any takeaways from from that experience? It's been exciting and terrifying all at the same time. You know, still being in a beta state and watching you know people play for really big prizes. 
Um, you know, and they're doing everything they can ultimately to break the game. Is all it's always an adventure, honestly. Even when you're out of beta, every year when I go to BlizzCon and I'm looking at StarCraft II, which is now you know almost five years old, I still sit there sweating bullets that something's <laughs> going to go wrong in the balance, or that what if the game crashes, or I don't even know what could happen. So it's always just um, terrifying, but it's also you know absolutely amazing to watch. Really, you know, great players, you know, playing the game and, and pulling off these great moves. We saw this. You know, amazing game over the weekend. You know, between uh, Berkeley and Arizona, I think yeah. it was. Uh, oh, wow, where awesome. Arizona clearly felt like they were behind the gun. You know, in terms of the skill, and so they kind of tried an unusual composition to break out. And uh, I know that you know day nine was losing it, and I was you know uh, in in my uh, in my study losing it as well as these guys go <laughs> with that Asmund and Sylvanas Zagar. I think it was composition they were yeah. going for. And then I felt like honestly, if they had had a little bit more practice with that composition or, or, or the team they had been playing had been quite so strong. I felt like their strategy was solid. I felt like they could have pulled it off and, and mm-hmm. that would have been really amazing. So um, super exciting game to watch. Absolutely amazing. And some of big takeaways, obviously we're not seeing the level of diversity in the team compositions I would like to see. Right. That's you what know, I was going to ask. If about, I see yeah. Jaina pick first one more time, I, I may start, I may throw something. Um, <laughs> in fact, it was really funny. There was this moment in, in the, in the show last, uh, last weekend where they brought up the picks, right. And Jaina, and by the time it got up, Jaina was already first pick. <laughs> like she was already first pick and they didn't even comment they just kind of went on and i'm like is this how it is right now should we just auto choose first pick for jana is that <laughs> right. what it's going to be but um we are seeing slightly more interesting compositions in um in other esports adventures that are going on these days um so some of that i think there's two things going on one is we have no bands in this and that was um you know this came came together so quickly and there were some concerns about a lot of the players not having access to enough heroes to actually play Mm. And so they didn't want players to require 11 heroes instead of 10. So they went without any bands. Um, I think no bands is a factor. And so obviously going forward, we'll be looking hard at bands and how many bands we want to do and all of that when we sort of start talking about our esports plans for for the rest of the year. Um, At the same time, I think a lot of these guys just got into the beta and they are also like, look, I'm good with these two heroes. Okay, this is what I got. And they'd rather play to their strengths than play something unusual that they haven't had a chance to really practice with yet. Yeah. And that is correct. I mean, that is absolutely a valid choice. And I, I, you know, when I play, you know, ranked now with, with pug players and they say, what should I be? I'm like, be what you're good at. I say the same thing. You know, just yeah. don't worry about it. Maybe, maybe it makes you happy. I want you to be happy. I want you to play what you're confident in. Right. I don't want you to play something for me something that is the meta pick because honestly at my skill of play doesn't matter that much right like yeah. and, and and for these guys you know coming in where some of them have just got into the beta just now um you know in the last couple of weeks really even though i'm sure they're all very skilled players you know coming from other games even even so i would go with i would tell them to go with what they're comfortable with mm-hmm. and so i think that's also somewhat restricting it but i think if we can get to bands that'll be a big deal and then the last question of course is you know where are we at on balance and that i don't know the answer to yet but we're watching it you know vigorously with with you know uh, a great deal of trepidation as we're watching these things and, and we're going to try some things you know going forward in the short term but there may be some long-term fixes we want to do. And unfortunately, we have a lot of tools at our disposal. Not only do we have you know, the ability to add more heroes to the game, which may shake up the meta quite a bit, but we also have you know, sort of a per-hero customization system with these talents. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the power to go into any individual hero, and by adjusting their talents alone, we can make them more viable, or we can give them you know, counterpicks and talents that can shape up the meta. For example, if we were seeing double or triple support being more and more powerful, we could go in and actually put in mortal strike style talents into some of the heroes that would 
you know, maybe reduce the effectiveness of support comps. We have all kinds of tools um, that allow us to make fixes uh, going forward. We'll just have to see what fixes do we need to make and which tool seems the most appropriate. That's awesome. Um, just on a, a side note, from a coverage standpoint, I, I wish there was more discussion of talent builds in in the commentary of the matches because yeah. I think it's so important to you know to how the matches go. Um, talking about introducing new characters uh, and and new maps. What goes into creating a new character? Are you, are you looking at a, a need? Are you saying, well, we don't have any, you know, ranged tanks. Right. We don't have any. Th- right. Is it trying to fill a slot or is it more coming from theme and character in the it lore? It really depends on the character completely. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, Jaina was a slot. We didn't feel like we had enough mages in the game as a particular play style, not, mm-hmm. not the personality of a mage, but the play style of the, you know, Mana constrained, high burst damage, um, low on the escapes kind of character. Right. You know, that's, glass that's a style of play. Glass cannon. It's a style of play that's really enjoyable. That, and you could argue that Nova's a little bit in that camp, but her cloak really allows her to play in a very different way. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I've certainly seen some players argue that Zagara's a little bit in that camp, but she's also not really. She's such a pusher, yeah. right? First and foremost. And she's even a very viable poker kind of character. And so right. she doesn't really fulfill that that mage slot. So we knew we wanted to do a mage uh, as an archetype. And then obviously, you know, Jaina is a character that, you know, is from the lore that we've been wanting to do for a long time anyway. Um, and so it just made sense to roll those two together. In other cases, we'll have, um, you know, an idea for the types of things the game needs more of. But, you know, it's very loose as to, you know, what character that could be. And then sometimes we just have a character we want to do. We have a, a mechanic that we think is interesting, or we have, you know, a physical look that we would love, you know, to get into the game, a particular character that makes sense. Like Chen didn't come from the need for another tank. Mm-hmm. You know, Chen just came from, we should do Chen, that'd be cool. Okay, <laughs> right? Like, um, as opposed to Lili, who came from, we should have a really easy to play support character. Right. Right, a character that really anybody could pick up because a lot of new users they have trouble surviving the team fights. They get lost right. in the shuffle. They have problems sort of maintaining the you know where their character is. And while Uther is a fairly easy to play support character, he also has to kind of go into the mix every now and then. It's easy to lose track of him. Let's go with somebody who's really easy to play because they're ranged and maybe doesn't have a lot of targeting. Right. And, right. And, and who could that be? Oh, let's try Lily. That'd be a fun game. We need more cute characters too at the same time. Right. We want, we want to appeal to a wide range of player types and what they're interested in. So, you know, it really depends. It's really a combination of things. Sometimes it's purely mechanics. Sometimes it's purely art. It's often a combination of the two um, that leads us to a particular character. Sometimes it's a request from the, from the players. You know, when we were at BlizzCon in 2013 and we were showing off the game, Lost Vikings came up again and again <laughs> and again. I mean, literally almost every interview, almost every third person I talked to on the show floor, when they would say, well, what universes will you do? And I'll say, we would do anything. And they'd say, oh, really? Lost Vikings? And they would look at us <laughs> kind of pointedly like, I don't think you got the stones. I don't think you're going to do it. Um, and I'd say, hey, anything's possible. And so that became kind of a mission for us throughout early early and mid-2014. Could we get Lost Vikings into this game, and, and how would they play? And they play so differently. It's so it's so cool. I love the the willingness to push the boundaries on characters as well. Uh, my, my personal wish list for characters is I want a peon. I want a peon in the game oh, as a playable. That's think, not a bad idea at all. What about a what about something like a probe? Would that be? There you go. Yeah, that would be, that'd be awesome. Or is it, does it need to be an orc or a human specifically? Like, what are your thoughts? I was thinking uh, like an orc grunt or a, a human peon, but I love the idea of a probe that just 
it really can't do much. <laughs> but it does something amazing with yeah. building somehow, right? Like it's got some kind of plan and it's going to execute on right. it. It transforms into a city in some way, you know? Or, or something, it's, right? Yeah. yeah, it's making barracks in every lane. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I do think those kinds of characters, when we really get out of the mold, that's where it gets really interesting. Yeah. When you've got your Abathurs Abathur, and right. your Murkies and your Lost Vikings, where it really kind of shakes up how you view the game and you're playing some fundamentally different kind of play experience. And that's where we really want to keep doing those. I don't think we're going to do 50 of those a year or anything. You know, I think it wants to be a percentage. I think you want to be able to see a new character that kind of plays in a way that you understand. But every once in a while, you definitely want to see a character like, well, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. That's interesting, right? And yeah. and and hopefully it clicks with some of our players, that particular weirdo. And, and it goes on to be, you know, something they really enjoy about the game. In that same vein, how far afield are you guys willing to go with map design? Because uh, I love the variety of maps that we have now, but I, I, you know, I also fantasize about something even crazier and wilder. Are, are there internal, you know, proposals for stuff that's really outside the box? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We, we definitely want to keep pushing it. I don't know how far we could go. At some point we may go, okay, that was too far, <laughs> right? And come back. Um, but we definitely want to keep um, doing really strange stuff. We'd obviously like to do different modes going forward as well that would also um, sort of change the rules as to what we could and could not accomplish. But even within sort of the core game experience, between your quick match and your rank play experience, I think we'd really like to take some more steps and really push the boundaries of what is, is possible and what is not possible. And so I think, you know, look for more. We're going we're gonna to be experimenting with some stuff, you know, here in over the next year. And I think you'll definitely see us try some stuff. And I'd be love to hear your feedback and, and the feedback of our players as to how successful that kind of stuff is and, and whether or not we want more or less of that or, or what it wants to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think one of the biggest, most important things that we've said, you know, for this game is, you know, we've told this to the development team as well. I've, I've told the development team, if you're not having fun making this game two years from now, we've done something wrong. <laughs> like, we really want to come in, and I want to see you guys doing stuff that excites you, that makes you, that challenges you creatively, that makes you think, wow, this is, we're doing some really interesting stuff today, as opposed to, hey, it's time to make another range damage dealer. Here we go, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I really want you to feel like, that the, the developers are weapons-free when it comes to ideas. They, they can do whatever they want with the heroes. They can do whatever they want with the, the battlegrounds. That We should be looking to invent new game modes. We should be looking to add new types of progression systems. We should be looking to add whatever we can think of to keep this game exciting for our players because as long as we're having fun making it, there's a pretty good chance. I mean, we could go too far, obviously, but there's a pretty good chance that they're going to be entertained by our efforts. And I think that's a lesson that we've really learned from watching the World of Warcraft team, right? Where, mm-hmm. especially with Warlords of Draenor, I felt like they really did some kind of unusual stuff with the garrisons, and they really were pushing the boundaries of what I sort of anticipated an expansion pack would look like and yeah. feel like. And yeah. that was sort of an important learning, because we want this game to go on for 10 years. We want it to be around for our players. So long as our, And this has been true of all of our games for many years, but you know, typically we have these long tails. You know, StarCraft has a long tail in its game, a long chance to play, just because of the multiplayer experience mm-hmm. um, and because of the mod-making experience. And so that's not something that we have to constantly adding to to keep it fresh the multiplayer experience remains fresh with balance patches and map changes and the mod making experience remains fresh because our players are constantly contributing amazing content to the game but for heroes it's it's in many ways at least until we get more mod tools in which we will but for now it's up to us right and so we really want to make sure that we're constantly challenging ourselves to provide really cool stuff for the players so that 
every time, you know, if, you, if you've been gone for a month and you come back, he's like, whoa, what is going on? This is awesome. Yeah. We really want that experience for people. So there will be sort of custom map mods at some point? Oh, I, I, I think it's highly, highly likely. Oh, cool. Um, I don't anticipate a world where Team, team One, which is the team that builds this game, doesn't get to that. We, we've built the, the mod-making tools. I mean, this team's been building mod-making tools for like, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something ridiculous like that, right? Um, it's been part of every one of our games that we've shipped from Team One. Um, it's something we're very passionate about on the team. Our, our engineers, our designers, our artists are all very excited about it. The only reason we haven't done it yet is just time. And we have a little bit of a hiccup in terms of it's a free-to-play game. If you decide to load up the mod that's, you know, uh, Frodo versus Superman, and suddenly, you know, Warner Brothers and DC are calling us and saying, what are you guys doing? Right. Um, and we take it down. You can put it right back up. Right. right. Yeah. And or if you put up something pornographic or something that's just not appropriate, you know, for whatever reason, it could be a yeah. legal reason. It could be a sort of, you know, values reason, something that's just not appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really have any way to remove it and keep it removed. What we would do in Starcraft is we'd remove the thing. And if you're really bad, we'd delete your account. It doesn't prevent you from putting it up again, but you got to go, you know, we'll spend, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks, whatever it is, to get that thing back on. So it's a bit of a barrier. Most players yeah. won't do it. It keeps our community healthy and safe. Mm-hmm. In this case, we've got to figure and it's not an impossible problem, right? We just yeah. got to come up with some rules and do it. We just haven't had time to get to that yet. Um, it seems like Blizzard as a, as a company overall is, is really embracing the idea of heroes as a concept. And we see Overwatch. And when I saw the announcement for Overwatch, the first thing I thought was, oh my God, I can't wait till these characters are in Heroes of the Storm. Um, <laughs> And, and I, I love that. I think it, it creates these iconic characters and it attaches you to the lore in a really profound way. Is there a lot of overlap or, you know, um, camaraderie between the teams in the sense of like, oh, my gosh, that character can do this in your game. So I wanted to do this in my game kind of thing. Does that happen? There absolutely is. We don't um, we don't always uh, talk about it in quite that way. But I think if you look at our games, I think you'll see a lot of inspiration moving back and forth between the teams. Mm hmm. Um, um, so, I'll, and it's often subtle, like nobody, when they see another hero, another team is going to set out to copy that hero. Right. Everybody's got way too much respect for everybody else's work and they, they all want to do something new anyway. So no one's going to set out to do it, but it's going to happen. Like we're going to end up with, oh wait, that is similar to what you did. Oh, okay. You know, I'm okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's definitely going to happen. And, and you, if you look across our games, I think you'll certainly see that there are a, a shared sense of values of the types of abilities that will work on a hero, whether it's a World of Warcraft character or a Warcraft 3 hero or, you know, a single player hero in Starcraft or a hero as the Storm character in Overwatch. There's definitely similar design values that are going to lead to certain types of abilities. And then there's going to be inspiration that, that will happen. I have had on occasion somebody, you know, look at something somebody else is like, and I'm just going to do that in my game. Right? Like, that's yeah. just so cool. But it's not that common. I think usually it's more subtle. It's usually people are desperately trying to do something that's completely original and they end up at some point kind of taking something that feels kind of similar. They end up getting back to something that ends up looking the same, even though they started someplace completely different when they first sat down to work on something. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I don't think people talk enough about how great Heroes of the Storm looks. I think it is by far Blizzard's most attractive game. It's, the engine is gorgeous. The character models are incredible. I wish it makes me wish Diablo looked like that. Um, and I love the the way in the most recent patch there was a bigger emphasis on that the character selection screen all the characters right. are larger uh, more detail I would love uh, to be able to rotate my characters in that screen um, is there any discussion of and also you know the skins are great the color palette swaps are great is there any discussion of going farther with color palette swaps to be able to sort of mix and match your own color palettes or do any more customization like that 
Uh, I would certainly love to. I don't think we've gotten to mix and match yet, but that's a really interesting idea. Um, I haven't actually heard that one in a while. I'm kind of glad you reminded me of that idea. Um, I have a whole list of, of, of I'll, wish I'll lists. I'll take them I- all. I'm shameless. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely awesome. No, I, I think it's interesting. Um, we definitely want to do more with it. I think there's opportunities to do more, and some of the characters do better than others. And I, I think we'd certainly like to keep leveling that system up and provide more texture changes, even just on the palette swaps. It's been a really fun part of the game. I, it's certainly one of the parts of the progression system that I enjoy the most as a player is unlocking, uh, you know, those color swap yeah. uh, swatches. Like I just got uh, uh, Tassadar's second choice mm-hmm. last night which is kind of this purpley oh it's just so cool yeah. it just looks fantastic and it's not even our best one by far you know what i mean it's just right. it's just it really spoke to me when i was playing last night and there's there's one for vala where she's got kind of this uh pink look to her outfit but then her hair is gray right. and it just looks like man this lady's seen some stuff that her hair is turning gray. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a real demon hunter right like <laughs> that she's been out there that her hair has been scared white like and she just looks tough as nails right like yeah. with this with this shock white hair and what's obviously a very young woman right um <laughs> and so I, I think those are fantastic i'd certainly love to do more with those um going forward and your mixing match is interesting one of the challenges we have with those is how easy it is for one character to look like another character because you've changed the shape a little bit with the skin and then you've changed the color as well. Like this is one of the areas where you'll notice that Tychus and Rainer um, don't have the most dramatic color shifts. Right. Um, and I, I've, I've complained frequently to the artists. Like, oh, I got to do more with Tychus. Like, dude, it looks like Rainer if I change the color too much. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I get it, right? Like, it's a, kind of an interesting problem. Like, why isn't this, you know, Rainer blue, more blue? Like, because it looks exactly like Tychus when I do that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, never mind. Right? right. So they've made some fixes, I think, uh, two patches ago. Our patch ago, I think, helped it some. But um, so there's a constant battle there. I don't know how many more we can do. We've sort of got the idea we can do one more of those before we're going to get into a point where the characters are just a total mess and nobody has any idea what's going on. But I don't know if that's true. Um, so we'll definitely keep keep an eye out, you know, sort of for that going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think I choose who I'm going to take to level 10 based on how awesome their hero skin is. Seriously, and, seriously. Uh, you know, skins get wins, as they say. Yeah, right. Skins get wins. Um, a couple of other, I, while I have you, I just have to yeah, go. take off my wish list a little bit. Um, iOS app or, or Android app that lets me sort of keep track of my stats or even maybe watch replays would be cool if I could that stream cool. them. Anything? I like the replay idea a lot. I don't know. Um, we're not working on it now. So okay. to say that somebody was coding that right now would be a complete lie. Um, to say I'm interested is true, but let's be real. No one's working on it right now. Um, so all you and I are doing is geeking out right now, which is totally fun, but <laughs> right. no one's actually building it, but that would be cool. I love the idea. Okay. Um, I'd love uh, and a notification in hero league that if your character that you've pre-selected has been selected by the other team for oh, a little warning, just, Hey, you can't pick that. Hey, because, wake up buddy. Yeah. A little, a little yeah, of that would real. be great. How, yeah, cool. how have you seen uh team league take off? I've had, you know, mixed reports of people saying it's kind of a ghost town so far. Team League does not have the best adoption rate. They are not. They are not wrong. That yeah. is entirely fair feedback. Uh, the match. I've had reports of people who can't get matches after reasonable amounts of time, and we've checked the match quality, and it's not not great. So, um, well, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes it's not. It really depends. If you're on the high end or low end of Team League, uh, mm-hmm. you can you can sometimes be in trouble. I actually had the um, honor of playing against the Berkeley team uh, a few nights back um, in Team League, which will show you. Mm-hmm. Um, cause, uh, you know, I'm not that good, which will show you where the matchmaker was at on that particular moment where it said, ah, all right, here's Berkeley. Uh, I don't know. You know, like, good luck. 
Um, I had to lane against uh, Zero as ETC. That did not go my oh boy. way at all. Um, but it was really a blast to play against them, even though they annihilated us in about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's something we can improve on. We are talking about fixes to it. We like the idea of the team. We think the team is cool. Yeah. Um, what we want to do to either make it easier to get into that league, easier to play with your friends, or just to make the matchmaking better, I don't know. I, I don't have an announcement yet, but talks are active um, and passionate and furious, and we are definitely going to keep talking about it. But you can keep you know, giving me that feedback, and I'll, I'll keep hearing it, but it's, it's accurate. Um, yes. A fix should be made, um, and we will definitely make some kind of move here in the future. What are your go-to heroes when you're playing? You know, I'm really all over the place. I've played all of these guys for years now because I've played them internally as well as all throughout the alpha, and I've been playing this game pretty much nonstop since we shipped the alpha. Um, Right now, today, well, I've been playing Tassadar a lot, was my go-to guy last night. Um, I'd like to get Vala to 10. I haven't done that yet either. Um, I'm really enjoying Anubarak. That's my go-to tank right now. Um, mostly because I tend to overcommit, and I can use his E to get out of danger. Get out of danger, yeah. Um, and I, I was, you know, and he, so, he gets so much sustain. I mean, if you just build him with sustain talents... He gets. He, you can sometimes be in situations where, like, the three guys are beating on you. Your health bar is not really moving. Um, and so I always joke with my friends. Yeah, they don't go in there. I'm like, Tom and Uberak, I can't be killed, right? Like, <laughs> and, and then I die, <laughs> and then they'll laugh at me. But um, so he's 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 something I'm really enjoying right now. Um, and then for you know, I, I've always been a big specialist fan, um, but I've recently maxed out uh, Zagara. Um, and Sylvanas is sort of, you know, the go-to here for everybody, so I haven't been playing yeah. her very much. I don't know why I kind of do that when the community's really enjoying it. like, oh, they got that one covered. Let me check the ones that might be broken. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? And Asmodead's also a go-to. So I need, I've, been, I've been playing Gazlo as my, as my uh, specialist right now. Um, he's awesome. Just, just to see how he's doing, you know, kind of looking on him and see how life, and I've been really enjoying him as well. Well, I could talk to you for hours uh, about Here's the Storm. I am in love with the game, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad you shared some time here and uh very looking forward to it hitting uh for full release june 2nd so thank you thank you dustin browder i uh i'm really really in love with the game and and i can't wait to see what what comes down the pike next well thank you sir thank you for playing absolutely have a good one all right now we're gonna go right to my interview with kao milker the lead game producer on heroes of the storm this was recorded at the Heroes of the Dorm finals, you'll probably hear a lot of crowd noise. We were in a, a back room, but the the matches were still happening outside in the big Shrine Auditorium. Uh, so uh, apologies for, for some of the poor audio quality, but I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. And I thought you might want to hear it. Uh, now we'll go right to that interview with K.A.O. Milker. So this is awesome. It is awesome. This is amazing. Like we work so hard at this stuff, and we don't know how it all comes together. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. What What are your feelings as far as the competition as a competition? I mean, clearly this is a game that's still in beta. Um, how do you feel about the meta? How do you feel about the the way the game is performing with these guys? And- yeah, I think coming into this, you know, we we started this competition only two months ago, not even two months ago, bringing in colleges from North America and Canada, and just kind of opened it up. Again, we're in beta, so a lot of people didn't even have access to the game yet. So we right. gave them all access. So thousands of players from across the country and Canada jumped in, started playing the game. Along with that, you're like, wow, some of these people are brand new to it, but there are a lot of people who've been playing in beta for a while as well. So I think there was a good mix of people who were deeply invested in Heroes and really excited to be a part of this. Um, you know, moving through the brackets as we worked our way here, there were definitely a lot of 2-0 sweeps in certain areas. Yeah. Coming here, even in the first matchup, we just saw uh, Boston College, who was definitely 
uh, you know, big underdog coming into it. They were looking like they could take it at a bat here. And first they, match was yeah. thrilling. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it's awesome. So it's it's cool kind of seeing. It's, we make this game. We're trying to give all these opportunities to kind of say it's anybody's game. And you know, when uh, those moment, the moment by moment decisions you're making in this game, we give you lots of opportunities to turn things around. It's really cool seeing it play out, play out with these college students with so much on the line here. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the game, and I play. Way more than I should. I mean, I'm daily a daily multi-hour player. Awesome. Uh, so I have lots of sort of in-depth de- in questions to ask you, but I, I'm wondering, how, how, since this has played out over a number of weeks now, do you guys go back after a weekend of seeing competition and go, oh, I have all these ideas, or oh my gosh, we need to fix something, or is it, it, what's that process like? I think you know, we, we're the same team that made StarCraft 2, we made WarCraft 3, we made the original StarCraft, so we've been making competitive games for a really long time, and I think... We've had a lot of experience looking at where we kind of put the tools in players' hands and then they do really surprising things with them. And so we're continually trying to make sure that we give enough choices and enough variety in the gameplay that they can do really cool things with them. And then it gets out there and there's moments where we're like, ooh, they're all doing that one thing. Like, right. is there, why aren't they doing this thing? And what we usually see, and what's cool is we have global games and it's really fascinating. Different regions will like go through different metas at different times and so you'll kind of see... Korea or Taiwan will be doing something that North America hasn't picked up on and Europe hasn't and it all's kind of always changing but we try to stay back a little bit and let those things land where they're going to and we're already seeing with heroes across beta across this tournament already seeing them surprise us then all of a sudden a, a hero that might have been low tier and everyone said don't play that hero in this like will come out of nowhere and be really strong and, we, and that's what we love and we're yeah. trying we're trying to create those opportunities and we love it when they take them and again we don't anticipate all the things we're just trying to say here's some choices like I have no idea how they all come together but go play with them and uh, it's fun it's fun watching that all become real that's awesome yeah it's it's a, it's thrilling so you guys are coming out of beta June 2nd um, what can we expect is there going to be a patch coming out of beta or so please say there's no wipes so that's no, fine. there are no wipes. We've already said for sure, no wipes. So <laughs> that's the most important your, part. Your progression, your purchase, everything is legit. It stays. It's all there. Yeah. So um, yeah, we actually go to open beta on May nineteenth, and then we'll go fully launch on June second. So we're excited. There's so many people who wanted to play this game and still want to play this game, and you know we've been we we're very slow rolling into beta initially. At this point, we're bringing in tons of people, and it's really exciting to kind of see everyone coming in. And uh, you know, there's still a ton of people who will never play a game in beta. They're just like, it's not real. There's no reason. I'm not going to look at it. So. It's cool to kind of get to that point where everyone can kind of say, "All right, let's do it. Let's go try this thing." So, what what brought you to that decision? What was what was I mean, stability? But was there from a design perspective? What was the yes? We're ready. So we spent a really long time testing this game in a live environment and something that we've never done before as a team or as a company. We brought it first to um, a technical alpha that started in July of two thousand. It's been a long time. We took it out really early. No, it's March March of 2014 is when it first came out in Technical Alpha. We also tested it with a company before that in a development and company alpha for months as well. So initially we were trying to confirm gameplay. You know, this this is a very established genre and its roots go back to games that we made and the and uh, maps that were made as mods in those games in StarCraft, the Aeon of Strife maps and, and right. Warcraft 3 with, with the original Dota. Um, and I think we kind of wanted to make our like take our turn seeing what we could do with this game do our, our version of it but all the things we were trying to change about it you know we were we said uh, it's not individual leveling it's team leveling there's no item shop it's multiple battlegrounds in a genre where everyone plays predominantly one map and that's the one that you play on all these things were very controversial even internally right so I think we first had to validate the core gameplay decisions we were making and see if 
does this stuff actually functionally work? Is this fun? Like, is, are we doing the right thing? Are people going to be like so just aghast that we, we dare to touch those things that they don't want it to play it? But every step of the way in those testing phases, we're like, this is fun. Like, we are loving this. And, you know, we distilled it down to 20 minute games. All these things, like, they all add up to just make it super fun. And it really is to us kind of grabbing all the great stuff and kind of pushing aside the things that we didn't enjoy so much. Like, last hitting, we just kind of said, eh, let's kind of get that out of there. Right. Um, so I think a big part of it was confirming the gameplay side of it. And then there was a huge technical thing, too, where this is a free to play game. Um, that means anybody can play it anywhere at some point, right? If they have a computer that can. It's five years old, and it can run, you know, run a game that came out seven years ago for us. They can run this game. So um, there's a lot of stability concerns. There's a lot of scalability concerns. So once we got into closed beta, that was really about trying to bring in much larger audiences and starting to see where things start falling over with our technology. And um, so a lot of the decision process has been about um, working our way through that process, knowing that we have options and. It's wow, gonna, the crowd is going crazy right now. Uh, it's a big Berkeley crowd out oh there, too. Gosh. Yeah, yeah we got to check this out. It's uh, awesome. <laughs> so um, I think a lot of the decision is about can we successfully go through those stages and feel like we can scale the game successfully and that when we, when we encounter problems, because you're always going to encounter problems with these things, I think when you watch games releasing across the spectrum, everyone's like, why are game developers still having this problem with like scalability? Like, it's a really complicated problem, and it changes every time with every game. We're in a unique situation that we have Battle.net, which is a shared environment, a platform that all of our games play on. We happen to have a lot of really big games, so yeah. it starts getting very dangerous with us because a game like Heroes of the Storm has the potential to take down a game like World of Warcraft, which right. there's a lot of paying subscribers to World of Warcraft who do not want to take World of Warcraft down. Right? Right. That's not something on our list of things to do. <laughs> uh, Diablo 3 is gigantic. Hearthstone is gigantic. Like, There's so much going on, so... Um, it's about kind of testing things and making sure not just that they hold together, but that when they inevitably fall apart, we have a way to recover from it. You definitely have a lot of gigantic games. Is there a bar that Heroes of the Storm needs to hit, or you guys are hoping it'll hit? I mean, it's especially compared to giants like League and Dota. You know? Sure. So I think we've approached this game the way we've approached all of our games, going back to the very beginning of Blizzard, which is we, we, we are a group of very, uh, very passionate gamers, um, who happen to be lucky enough to be getting to make games, and I think we, we're we always trying to make the games we want to play. And I, and it's it's challenging with big teams of people to find those games that you want to play, but I think with this one is another opportunity that we really rallied behind people who were really excited about the changes we were making. They, they were able to play it from home way early in its development and yeah. fall in love with it and be able to critique it and change it in, in a meaningful way in its infancy. Um, and I think going, going through that whole process end-to-end it, it, it kind of it, it sets us up to, to know that we're making the right choices. And I think every game Blizzard ever made was made with very similar motives, right? We didn't go in a room and talk about, we're going to sell this many copies and we're going to make this right. much money. We go, what's fun to us right now? Like, if we look at the gaming landscape, what, what do we love playing? What would we like to be playing? And that's how we approach game development. And so I think we stay totally true to those roots. Um, my goal, I think this game has... Limitless potential. Clearly, the MOBA genre is gigantic. Yeah. Um, I think we already have a piece of it, and we're in beta, and that's exciting to me. People are loving this game. I hear from people, both those who love, both those who love the other games in the genre, and people who hate them, have come and said how much they really enjoy Heroes of the Storm. So I feel like those choices that we've made, and, and decisions, and the work is aligning to something that can be really great. As a game, it's already really great. So. Um, I think the rest of it is going to be the icing, and, and I look forward to seeing what comes as, as more and more people have the opportunity to play it. Yeah, it certainly has captured me like very few games before it ever have. Um, 
it seems to me that Blizzard has sort of made a conscious choice, and, and my question is, is it a conscious choice, uh, to kind of embrace the concept of heroes. It seems like Overwatch is really built around heroes. It seems like, from a company perspective, it's embracing the lore and really investing in these characters. Is that something that is uh, was a conscious company-wide thing, or is it just sort of natural? Sure. Well, for, for heroes, you know, we're making kind of this this game that is this collision of all the Blizzard universes going back 20 plus years. You know, we brought in the Lost Vikings now that go, go back to our very first game that we made in 1992. Yeah. Um, our first, like, first party game that we made. Um, so we are, we are a company made up of fans, like passionate Blizzard gamers, and I think it's very exciting for us to have this opportunity for everyone. Artists, engineers, programmers, producers, we're all like, we love these characters. We, we, we have memories that are, are like some of our fondest, earliest gaming memories even go back to some of these people. So I think it's so exciting to be able to, to pull from all that and bring them together in a way that no one's ever seen before and have fun with them in a totally different way. It's, it's totally inspiring and I think everybody, we love it. And there's so many left to choose from. Like, yeah. you know, right now... I know we were driving here making a list of yeah. like, what we wish for. No, the hard part right now is like, man, how do, how do we even begin to, to prioritize this stuff? Yeah. A lot of it is about this balance between what, what the game needs functionally, like what roles we need to fill. But thankfully, we have this immense catalog of really cool characters that go way back that we can pull from. Um, but, yeah, that was our thing. It was just, we love bringing these worlds together. And, you know, we've... We've been doing it with the heroes, and so far in the game today, there's, we have seven battlegrounds, and none of them are in Blizzard IP worlds, and everyone's like, so when are you going to do Blizzard IP worlds? We did announce at BlizzCon last year that we're working on a Diablo-themed one right now, so, and that's, again, the beginning. So anything you've ever seen in a Blizzard game from this entire awesome history of this company can get pulled into heroes, and we're, we're so excited about that. I don't know, like, we're as excited about it as the players are, right? We just, yeah. we're, we can't wait. Oh, what are your favorite heroes to play? So I... I play a lot of heroes. I Kerrigan is kind of my go-to lady, and I, I keep telling people this. Like, <laughs> I have a personal attachment to Kerrigan. Like, I worked on StarCraft two for many, many years. The original StarCraft was probably my my all-time favorite game, and one of the things that led me to come to Blizzard almost 14 years ago. Like, I I really, really care about it. But Kerrigan, I named my daughter Kerrigan. Like, oh, well, she, there you like, go. I'm very, very attached. So <laughs> I, I named my play. daughter Brightwing. Just very weird. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, I don't know, I like Kerrigan a lot. I'm super aggressive, and Kerrigan is definitely for people who want to be aggressive. She's a, she's a melee assassin. She needs to get in the thick of things. She, she can die a lot in, while she's in the pursuit of that. But, um, I don't know, with a good, a good Tassadar at my side, like diving in, being just way too aggressive, I really love playing Kerrigan a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool to see her out there. She just had some great moments out there. Actually. Oh, I know. I yeah. love the fact they were picking Kerrigan. Yeah, no, yeah. Like, yeah, she's not like considered a super top-tier character, right. but... I saw some awesome Boston College stuff going on out there today. So, I think we we were talking on the way here about uh, you know the big differentiator for heroes, uh, at least in the genre, is is the map design and how maps change your strategy. And it's so much fun, especially watching these guys at high levels see how they strategize the maps, um, pushing that forward and getting getting really adventurous with map design. Is that something you guys are excited about? And can you? share any kind of outside-the-box ideas? Uh, well, I, I can say that we approached it, again, we were very very kind of concerned about what people's feelings would be about multiple maps. Like, even if you look at like, established games in the genre, they would come out with different maps and their communities, communities just wholeheartedly rejected them. Right? Right. They're just like, nope, that's not how you play this. We hate change. Yeah. So we knew we wanted to come in with multiple battlegrounds from the beginning to kind of make people prepared for that. Like, hey, this is different. Come try this. It's okay. You'll enjoy it. Um, and I think... <laughs> I think that that choice has served us well, and it continues to do it. But it's 
it's uh, we intentionally kept it in a in a framework that would be familiar to those people too. We didn't want them to come in and be like, "What? This is like totally different. Nothing makes any sense. I can't play this game." Right. So you're seeing some familiar themes right now. There's a core. The victory objective today is a core, right? You're destroying this thing, and that when you kill that thing, you win. There are towers, although we've added gates and towns and and uh, forts and things to it, and, and uh, healing wells and stuff, but. We were kind of pivoting off of something that, that they're familiar with. So I, uh, my, my expectation is that as more and more people get into this game and they embrace like, okay, now there's seven battlegrounds, or there's nine, or there's ten, and they, they feel comfortable with that dynamic that we've introduced, then being able to totally pivot off of that and say, okay, what if there, were, what if there is no core now? What if that's not what the objective is of this game and there's something completely different? How do we introduce that kind of stuff to players? And I think... We want to do those things, and I think we're kind of laying a path that gets us there. But right now, I think it's a really cool combination of something that's familiar enough that everyone can jump into it. The tens of millions of players, hundreds of millions of players who've played these games can jump in and go, cool, I kind of get that. Ooh, and there's this other thing. There's these mechanics that's just a cool other option or choice I can make, a strategy that I can make. So So start conservative and then grow from there. Yeah, I think we just want to kind of, let's welcome everyone in and let's see the show what we have. But one one of the tenets of this game is like, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like, this thing's always evolving. We're going to be heroes, battlegrounds, gameplay modes. Like, everything I think is going to be changing. And we're used to making box games where we spend many, many years working on a game and we, we get it all there and we put it out and then we're like, we wait and maybe a year or two later we come back out with the expansion. We set ourselves up over the last two years to, to just make content and put it out in this game continuously and have this feedback loop where they get it and they like it or they hate it and we know that better and we make the next thing that much better. And so I think we're excited to be able to do that at a much faster pace than we ever had before and see things that we work on today be in the game in a few months instead of a few years. So Awesome. Yeah, be great. Uh, good. Uh, so you're talking about in the different regions having different metas at one time and they're kind of rotating around. Once the floodgates open, the game releases. Uh, heroes are coming out. New maps are coming out. What's the uh, balance cycle potentially going to look like? Are we looking at monthly balance cycles, or? Yeah, we're we're talking about that. So oh. we again with our history from from all the other competitive strategy games that we've made with StarCraft and WarCraft Three and and uh, StarCraft Two, we definitely know we want to sit back and we we like to let the meta settled down a bit and, and, I, and like I said before we, we kind of give the players all these tools and we're not sure how they're going to use them and sometimes they all flock to one thing and, and we're always like what about all of these things and, and we don't want to change this one thing they're flocking to just because they can't see these things yet right. so we're, we're very cautious about that stuff um, there's not like a set cycle like we're going to have to do these things and keep revisiting it I think it's much more we're looking at the current landscape of heroes and battlegrounds. We know there are things that we're like watching them, both from a gameplay perspective, because we all play the game and we come back to the office after playing all night and we're like talking, right. debating very, very passionately about what our experiences were. But um, we also get a lot of uh, game data as well, and like seeing it's not just what your your sensation is super important. Your perception of what's happening is really important. But then there's the overall picture of what's really happening and and the data behind that. And so we're trying to balance all these things. Like someone could come in and we could say. Kerrigan's broken, fix Kerrigan now, and then they'll have to be able to be like, whoa, okay, hold on. What happens when you make those changes to Kerrigan right now, today, in this landscape? So um, I think you can expect to see regular updates to heroes, balance-wise, talent-wise. Like, we can do complete overhauls of talent systems or adding talents, especially when we see that there are talents that are not being selected very often. Sometimes that means buffing up one that's under underrepresented. Sometimes that means completely redoing a yeah. talent tree for a given hero. But we're looking for those opportunities, but we will be we will be very cautious and very strategic about those changes and not just... We don't want to mess everything up because there's right. a lot that's working great and, and yeah. some of these knobs are very delicate. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I think you can watch us do freaking updates, but 
cons conservative and cautious along the way too. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things I don't think people talk about enough about this game is how great it looks. Um, and I love the latest patch with the, the real emphasis on the character models, how much bigger they were in the selection screen and stuff. I wish I could rotate them. And stuff. <laughs> um, but um, my two favorite talents in the game are, are Brightwing's Polymorph and uh, Shrink Ray because they have such wonderful feedback visually. And I love, you know, adding, adding in uh, the in Devour with stitches in the, on the oh, screen. The overlays everything. and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, is there more plans for that kind of visual stuff? Definitely. I think every opportunity we get for those things where, I mean, we're, we walk this fine line where there's a lot going on in this game. you got five versus five, and there's tons of spells and abilities, and we're trying to balance readability with with epicness, and it's mm -hmm. it's... Sometimes we go a little too far in one direction or another, but we love doing that stuff. I think you've seen that in all Blizzard games too. Like that's some of that that fun polishy things that we we totally we live for. I think yeah. on, the, on the development team. So look for us to always find those opportunities, and you'll see certain characters that get to really use them. But unfortunately, like if everyone gets all that kind of stuff, it, I think the whole game kind of falls apart at a certain right. point. Right, it's like, too gimmicky. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we try to we, we try to to dole those out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think also watching this tournament, it makes you want to be able to download these matches and watch them. Is that something that you guys are considering? Yes, yeah, so right now we have replay support in the game. Uh, currently, the replays only work with the active version of the game. So, like the games that are being played today, if we patched the game and we broke replay versioning, you know, a couple weeks from now or something, you no longer be able to watch them. StarCraft Two right now has has it so that anytime you can basically load replays that go way back, and we load an older version of the game and then you, then you watch them. So that's something that I think we'll look in the future and, and explore when is the right time and, and what's required to bring that kind of like previous version replay support to Heroes. But there's also lots of other opportunities and things I think that in time we'll discuss. Like, what if you could you know jump in and watch this game being played live in the client, uh, not just from a replay of a game that was already played or something. So I think all those things are on the table. Our focus right now is on just making the game as great as it can be and setting our team up so that we can support it moving forward mm -hmm. and getting it out in as many people's hands as we can. Um, but yeah, there's there's so much cool stuff like that I think that we're going to be able to explore with this game. And like I said, it's it's never really done. It's always something that's in constant evolution. So there's a lot of opportunity to bring in all those kind of things to it. Yeah. Uh, a couple months ago, we had the artifact system. Yeah. And then we yanked it out, gave everyone yeah. some gold back. What did you guys learn from that? Are there any plans to add any more ways to customize your account similar to that? Or yeah, so artifacts were an interesting thing. So it was like at the time um, we put artifacts out. Again, we, we went to testing. That was during our technical alpha. Actually, yeah. we put artifacts in. So it was a time that normally no one outside of Blizzard would have seen our game, and we try things like that constantly. Like yeah. we fail so much on the way to making a great game. You know, I think. It's interesting to do that because I think the public saw that and was like, whoa, how could you make such a misstep? We're like, we make these missteps all the time. Yeah. Like, that's kind of called game development, but, yeah. but you guys were there along for the ride with us. Um, I think some of the big takeaways from that is that we've made this game that's really approachable and that by, like, by, by its very design, um, it's a very level playing field all the time for people, and that's really important to us. We were trying to give them more customization options with the artifact system. We were trying to give them options to be able to layer more ways to change the way that their heroes play on top of it. Ultimately... We weren't feeling that great about it, but we wanted to try it. We wanted to see what happened with it. We were fortunate enough to have a tech alpha audience who could do that with us. And I think they reinforced our internal cries about that as well. And so we were quickly looking at it and said, all right, here's what's not working about it. It's, it does make this emphasis on like, oh, I need to work hard and do this thing just to make my character viable, which is not something that yeah. sounds particularly fun in a competitive game. And I think other games do very similar things right now, but it's something that 
it didn't feel right for heroes, and we agreed with that. And again, internally, we were kind of having that discussion already, but we want to try things. Because sometimes things surprise us. Sometimes something that we don't think is going to work does, and vice versa. So yeah. um, I think I think we'll continue to look for ways to provide customization options, but I think our talent system is a really good way to do that. I think it's something that everyone has access to. Everyone has the ability to make the same choices at the same time. Um, and it's, it's not something that is so limited or so so difficult to achieve for for everybody. So I think look for us to find those options, but not. Yeah. We definitely have learned don't go that direction where it's it's like painting them in a corner or making it so that they have to make some hard choice or right. spend, feel like they have to go grind somewhere and spend save all their gold just to make this one character they love be totally viable. Yeah, right. like, so. yeah. Uh, so much of of these games um, comes down to this discussion of of toxic community or. Uh, finding the right people to play with. And so much of that, I think, lives and dies on matchmaking. Um, I would love to hear you talk about the challenges of matchmaking, but specifically, is there any desire to let the player in on some of those things, like to see who you're matched up with as far as their hero level, their rank, their any of that information so you can kind of judge who you're playing with? So or does that lead to like, more frustration? No, it's kind of this weird, this weird slippery slope that I think we're always trying to, to navigate. Um, it, we have like a hidden MMR. We have this in StarCraft 2 as well. And we, we tend to try to expose things to players that are a little more tangible and that, and that they can relate to each other on a little better. So we have ranking heroes right now in ranked modes. Um, but a lot, a lot of people play quick match because they want to just jump in and pick the hero they want to play. And actually that's a super popular way to play the game. I think I still play a ton of quick match even with Hero League and Team League in the game and I expect that a lot of people are going to keep doing that as well. Um, we definitely want to show them more things that let them understand, like, was I at an advantage or a disadvantage? Like, was that victory super epic and that defeat wasn't as bad as it felt like because they were actually a little better than me? Right. I think we want to give them opportunities to understand some of those kind of things, but we're still always debating, you know, if we explicitly just say, this is your MMR and this number, we fixate on this number however we choose to, to visualize it. Like, that's what the game is all about. Because that's not really what the game is all about. There's a lot of other things, I think, that we're trying to get get people to be able to explore and enjoy and it's not just that matchmaking rating number um, but it's something we're constantly talking about we, there are a lot of challenges with matchmaking in general especially a 5 versus 5 game there's compositions that come into play in quick match where people pre-select their heroes which is not something that you traditionally do in this game in our ranked modes you have draft mode so it kind of handles that a little better but then you're still dealing with um, the skill differences although we work really hard to take people together of equal skill and get them matched both on their team and against an enemy team that is in the same ballpark that they're in. I think there are challenges with that across the alpha and beta because our population was so limited, but it gets bigger every day, and I think a lot of those things actually improve dramatically the more people we bring into the game. We have more options of who to, who to pull together, but it's another one of these things that's constantly evolving and that we're iterating on. And we, we just made a big blog post about it just a couple weeks ago, kind of explaining, because a lot of people were um, up in arms about, I keep getting matched against a team where um, they have healers and I don't, and there's lots of other things going on, and there's a ton of stuff like that that happens, and there are things that people don't understand today either that we don't expose that I think they, our takeaway with that is like, there's more information we need to expose to let them understand. Like, you should understand that the opposing team is a party of four, and that's why they have this weird composition, is because yeah. they pre-selected, they wanted to play four supports. Yeah, I don't know. They, that's what they're thing. They wanted to do that, so it's not that we matched a bunch of random people together and said, "Here's four supports." Like, yeah. So I would love to know if I've been matched with a group that's that queued together. I think that's so helpful. It's interesting. You know, you know. Okay, well, these guys are going to be playing together. Yep. It's just good information to have. Yeah. And we and so we did talk about right now the statistics of what we've seen, which is that almost like it was like 
90 plus percent of the time we're getting the, the right matches across both teams where if it was a three and a two on your team it's a three and a two on the other team right. almost always you're not you're not because people walk away going that was a five-man team and i just got rolled by a five-man team and i solo queued but it's like actually that was a you were a four and one and they were a four and one and right. it just didn't go your way like yeah um, so i think i think we'll look for ways to to let you at least understand those kind of things because there's a perception that like the game did this to me, and the matchmaking is broken. But it's like actually, it all kind of went it wasn't a good game. That particular match wasn't great for right. you, but there's more. Like it's 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Well, and do you have any last questions? Uh, one of my favorite things about Warcraft Three was automated tournaments. Where that was college. That was the thing I looked forward to. Yeah. You know, every day getting home from school and doing this. Any chance we might see that down the road? Definitely. I think it's something that we're really excited about. I think it would be great for for Heroes of the Storm. Um, it's not something that we're actively working on right now, but it's totally on our radar, and it's something I would love to bring to the game. Um, and I think it would it'd be a pretty awesome experience in Heroes. Well, we both love the game, cool. and uh, appreciate you taking the time to yeah. sit down and talk. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. glad you guys are enjoying it. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. 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 Much more so I think. Absolutely. Yeah.